although the world is opening back up and I, babies I are being born and birds bands are, chirping, are playing all around bands us. are playing uh, <clears throat> people are booking <clears throat> shows <clears throat> oh my god i have a show coming up at you have a show memorial day weekend why which is why i was coughing <sighs> to infer or is, to prompt i'm very you. nervous but excited i haven't had the conversation with a band about a you show. guys want to do this show that classic yeah, you know, inquiry where you hey ask guys, what are you doing on the thirty first? Yeah, it's like, hey, stop washing dishes for a moment at that restaurant, and right? Like, text me back, bro. <laughs> you want to do what you're meant to do? <laughs> like, yeah, this is the one. All right, A and R's are <laughs> right, gonna right. be there, bro. This is the deal show, bro. This is the deal show. <laughs> okay, no, so let's let's we all talk. we all talked on the phone together. Like we merged the calls, and all were on the phone. Just Whoa. going. we're just going, huh? And we're like, like you know, going over the. We're like, okay, it's outdoors. Perfect. Great. Great. Socially distanced outdoors. Like, cool, cool. And, you know, it's it's in Joshua Tree right. where, where two of the members of Guam have a place. We're like, okay, there's a place to stay. Right down the street. Everything's just kind of like Coming sounds together. right. Yeah. And there was still so much hesitation. What was <laughs> that? You don't have to tell me who the hesitation was from. Let's just talk about this almost as a case study right now mm-hmm. because this is going to be interesting for all the people who are going to be getting right. offers. I mean, like I just saw Tree Fort. Music Festival announced their lineup today. And for a lot of local LA bat- acts, that's like... Tree Fort's great. Yeah. Tree Fort's going to be like their first... Exactly. Because it's September. That's right around when festivals are starting. Right. So I and saw Tree a Fort's- lot of friends. James Supercave, Lohum, Rituals of Mine. Oh, a lot cool. of LA bands are And on Tree, Tree Fort's Fort also year. just a great local oh, festival time, too. Yeah. It's the only it's time... It's kind of becoming South By. It is. And it's the only time I really ever want to be in Boise. But yeah. for that week or Calling so... Calling it right now, Tree Fort is South By now. Yeah, because South by you know Lady Gaga at the Doritos stage, yeah. like it's a, it's a victory lap. <laughs> and even for that's people. a dated. Yeah, like, it is. Yeah, right. That's like yeah. 2012. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so who even knows what happened since? It's like Don Henley at the Pepsi Arena <laughs> at South by. I saw the only time I've seen the Strokes was at really was at South by. And it was South like by? a main stage in the field somewhere. It was like a festival. That's I'm like so I'm weird. at a festival. Yeah, uh, I saw Ghetto Boys at South by once, and that was that the, sounds awesome. It was the coolest thing I've ever done <laughs> in my life. Yeah. Okay, so back to your show. Let's right. go. Let's go ahead and talk about the date and May twenty ninth. Uh, uh, it's it's a part of uh, Joshua Tree the Desert Sessions. Mm-hmm. Now the guy who puts it on, his name's Adam Above. Okay, and he's a he's a good friend of mine. Uh, he's been doing these shows. He's he's a great sound person. Like just works with all sorts of great bands. Right, touring all the time, but. He's got this place in Joshua Tree. He used to have a place in Silver Lake where Colin, uh, same complex where Colin and Jill live, Colin from Lohan. Oh, the Fireside Session. Yes, and he'd have these concerts in yeah. their backyard. I've gone Beautiful to a couple backyard. of those. Yeah, yeah. Been, Beautiful and, and it gets super crowded. Super crowded. And the cops usually come and bust yes. it up. Right. And that's kind of why you had bands do more of a stripped down set. So he was trying to curate a, a little bit of a classier type of show outside. That Adult contemporary. Get, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But... Now he's got this place in Joshua Tree and a fresh new PA, and he's like, he's like, I'm not. I asked him, I'm like, should we be stripped down? He's like, not. Nah, bring whatever you got. No man, if it's me. in the middle of nowhere. So then. I mean, and and he's doing a ton of these. I mean, he starts in May. I think we're the sixth show. He's Jesus. doing them like every weekend for half the summer i think that's incredible who else is on the bill uh our night we're playing with adult bodies steve wilkins that's project. so funny you have a personal relationship with steve wilkins right, right? Steve, steve of course singer of on sun drug okay may 29th out in the desert giant waste of man you heard it here first ladies and gentlemen you and go check out, check out on you can go to eventbrite and check out 
Desert Sessions, Joshua Tree, and find all the different lineups. Yeah. I know Low Hum's playing one cool. as far as local bands. Uh, Swim. Uh, great. Sago. Wow. A lot of great local Heavy bands. hitters. Yeah. So should be pretty cool. Well, I'm really looking forward to it. I'm going to take my trailer out to the desert that weekend, and I'm going to post up somewhere close to Ben Haywood's house, and I'm probably going to be half naked most of the time. Oh, yeah. Trailer trash. Trailer trash. Trailer trash. Speaking of... <laughs> What a good episode! What a good, yeah, no, it was good. Uh, kind of di- even as a modest mouse fan, kind of difficult to make your way through. It. I have a friend, yeah. uh, my friend Corey, uh, who I haven't. Uh, he was in Lemon Scented Dirt. Oh wow! He, he, the band we talked about that we were just always ripping yeah. Off for the listener, mouse. if you haven't listened to the Modest Mouse episode, you won't get these hilarious jokes we're about to talk about. But continue. He never hits me up, but right. he hit me up on Instagram, and he said. Two and a half hour podcast is a long drive inside of a car. <laughs> it's very true. It is very oh, true. I just loved it. It was perfect. Well, I'm glad we got the definitive album song ranking episode out of the way for season three. So what are we going to do today? Today we uh, are involved in another journey, another one of your cockamamie journeys. Yes, of, I don't know why I'm asking you. This is my This cockamamie. is your, I mean, they're all your episodes these days. You don't let me do anything <laughs> No, anymore. the next three are yours, sure. Really? You do I'm, I, you've told me you're thinking about doing punk, you're thinking about doing hip-hop. We sh- if we you let me do it, I'm going to talk about fifth wave emo for two and a half no, hours. No, we, we, can't, we can't do that. I can't listen to any more of the Hotelier. I'm sorry. That's fourth wave. Oh, fuck. Or commonly referred to as the revival. (laughs) Shit. You feel like we've been doing this podcast long enough where I should be able to keep up with you in that capacity. That's why I think we need to get the emo episode out of the way, just so we never... No, we're going to save that for season four. (laughs) Okay, fine. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, I feel like we we have to do top 10 hip-hop tracks. We have to. Yes, and and I'd I'd love to do that because it'll uh, it'll just put us in a totally different world altogether. Absolutely. Always the best listening. Also, we should definitively rank all of the Wu Tang solo records too. That's gonna that's gonna take some time for me though. That's it's a lot. I'm not of listening. familiar with like Inspector Deck right. stuff, or you know, I'd yeah. really have to like get in there and and figure that out. Although I'm probably gonna go with uh, Liquid Swords. Liquid Swords is maybe yeah. I mean, not even maybe. We haven't even said what we're doing today. We are doing, <laughs> and I'm so excited about. You this. are very excited. About I, you're this. you're like, why are you so excited about this? I've gotten that energy from you the whole time. That's not true. I'm just. It, there's so much to talk about when it comes to these very specific slots, like uh-huh. we're going to be talking about today, which we did in the first season. Right. Was we, it the first episode? First episode was the track eight. Today is the track four, four. which I believe. Um, is more consequential than the track eight. Oh yeah, track four is a way bigger deal. It might uh, be the most consequential track on the record. Actually. Not every album has a track eight. Every album has true. A track four. That is very true. Yeah. Um, and I, I'm I'm just so excited to see how you approach your top ten track fours because for me it's I, I have you know my rules. Yeah. I didn't you even have share so many rules. You. I didn't even share them with you because it's so exciting. Oh, here we go. I have my own personal reasons for why a track four is good does that make sense sure and i'm waiting for the rules now because this is what we do every episode especially when it's your episode we just get into it we let you talk about the rules and then we sit here and listen to you break every single one of them (laughs) i'm not i'm not here to break them today i mean i'm i'm really going to stick not not that i'm sticking by this this is just my gushing about the track four. Let's talk about it. Okay, so here's a little thing I wrote. Are you ready for this? It's and I'm going to sing it also, note for note. Don't worry. Also, just to get this out of the way, I'm going to be using the word albumist. 
a couple oh times. I texted you about it. I know you're not jazzed about it. I'm not jazzed about it because that's the most pretentious <laughs> thing I've heard in six hours. No, fuck that because this new generation, Gen Z, they all like singles, streaming singles. We blah, are blah, back blah. into the single. I category. feel like an albumist is a person now because like, yeah, you're you, right. they're actually hard to find. I yeah. never, I, like, if I start talking about an album or what I love about an album, somebody, I lose them half the time. These sure. Days. Oh, yeah, completely. So I feel like we are albumists. Okay, that's fine. Yeah, <laughs> you no, we definitely. You can't even, you can't even look you at me. You see me just, you just seething over here. <laughs> uh, no, listen, dude, you're right. I mean, that uh, we are both albumists. We are now see dinosaurs. I like the way it sounds coming out of your mouth albumist. it's a good word it's my word i mean you can't spell albumist without al baby <laughs> That's true. so so i think track four is an albumist's weak knee okay to me, it's a wink of thoughtfulness a clever window of vulnerability or a subvert altogether okay but always use best in the service of the album's ebb and flow yes completely or for the concept of the record absolutely um or as you said, that there are so many different ways the track four can go. I love when it completely branches off at four and gives you something that's so singular on the record and it never goes back right. to it again. Like it could be a surprise, like a jack in the box, too. Totally. And, yeah. and even if you start to enjoy an album, I already start to wonder what track four what, is. What's be track like four? Home. Especially if the single is in the track's three position. Definitely. That's when things get really Ooh, fun. Ooh, you're speaking my language. We're albumists, baby. <laughs> Some of the best track fours to me work as links to sew together the stitches of a great album. Of course. And as an avid albumist, oh, God. the track four <laughs> oftentimes informs my decision on whether or not I finish an album on yeah, first you're going to keep listening, yeah. Basically, what I'm asking of a track four is, yes, so far this album has wowed me, but what else can you do that is more than pomp? More than confetti, right? Maybe a meaningful lull. Okay, I like that. Now, how many Radiohead songs do you have on your list? Now, today? The, the, let's get that right out of the way. Okay, because obviously Radiohead are just far too good at the track four. They are the best at the track. They four, are arguably unanimously the track, and, and like even their bad albums have interesting track fours, right? Like "Stop Whispering" is a great song. That is a great song, and it comes right after "Thinking About You." And it's. <laughs> 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 if you didn't hear the Radiohead episode, uh, Al is obsessed with thinking I about you. I love thinking about you. About you cigarettes. All right, I'm not going to get into but it. But we're talking, I mean, on their, their glories, we're talking fake plastic trees. Yes. Exit music for a oh film. Oh, my God. How to disappear completely. Ugh. You and Whose Army. You and Whose Army. Maybe Weird the greatest track fishes. four on the greatest album of all time. Weird Fishes. Yeah. Nobody wants to talk about Feral. No, <laughs> no and we can't get back into Radiohead. Exactly. So. That's why. For the listener, uh-huh. go ahead and tell them. It's disqualified. They, radio have, have been disqualified from our top 10 track four. Probably from every episode here on out. I, I mean, it's just not fair. I would have five slots for those songs we just talked about. And yes, we can talk about them a little bit because they are incredible. Radiohood usually uses the track four to create emotion. Yes. To create pause. To create um, a moment of reflection, a moment of reflection, exactly. Even if track three is also like in like in Rainbows and uh, OK Computer, both the track threes are also kind of solemn, subterranean right. and nude and nude. But yeah. they still use the track four to like bring you into the, the album's second half, right. which is really the track four's job. And track four is also very important for side B. As well, yeah, because yeah, depending on you know what your song count is on a record, you have anywhere between five to seven songs on each side, right? Right. Now, track four kind of splits up depending again on how many songs you have on the record. It can split up a side A. 
Yeah. Which is important because sometimes if you're an albumist, <laughs> um, you're also probably a vinylist in yeah. that capacity too. So you are very much focusing on A and B. And to have, right. like, say you have seven songs on a side A, track four is really important to be able to, as you said, create that moment of pause, or a meaningful lull. The lo a longer album, track four is the start of side B. It is right. If you have an A B C D, so right. There's a lot to think about when you're, and and I would I would go as far to say that albums with eight tracks or less sometimes don't have a track four. Does that make sense? Yes, but today it, just, it doesn't need the. Yeah, I'm not saying those would be disqualified, but no, I albums, have one today. Like even King of Limbs, yeah. I mentioned Feral as their track right. four. It's an eight song album. And it doesn't really ever leave room for a track four. No, and Farrell is the equivalent to Tom York sitting on a toilet playing with a drum machine. Why wasn't Daily Mail track four on that album? I don't know. That just drives me nuts. Doesn't make like, any sense. That would have been perfect. Disqualified. 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 No more Radiohead talk for the rest of the track four. I did bring in a track four on an eight-track record today. Yeah, I actually have some that are less than on, on an album that's less than eight tracks. But Because, again, I'm not disqualifying it. But there's just certain things I feel like track fours aren't supposed to do or don't work in certain situations. Like 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 this track four being a single to me usually is misplaced. Thriller. Okay. That's it's just wild to me that that's a track four. Yeah, but track listing was different back then too. But it's also not like how many hits how many hits were on Thriller is the real question. <sighs> Almost all the songs. So maybe they weren't even expecting. Thriller wasn't the first. Thriller's, thriller's beyond track list. It is track. It is beyond track. Like list. they're just like this isn't about track list. This is just eight of the or eight to ten of the hottest singles you'll ever hear. Well, the fact <laughs> that it was about fondling kids on Halloween too is well, a completely <laughs> different story. You know what I mean? So they're like, where do we put this track? Can't put it at the end because then there people are really going to know that I want to fondle kids on Halloween. You think? The fondling of kids was the reason why Thriller ended up in tr the track four position. Yeah, because they That's wanted to saying. not That's be so... That's what you're saying to the world, right? Yes, now. they didn't want to be so blatant about it. What do you My mean they? There's more than Michael? Two sides of Michael. Yeah, <laughs> the white and the black side. Right, okay. Yeah. That's uh -huh. the they. I got you. No, I'm yeah. back with you. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want people to know that I love Halloween because of all the kids. So if we put it at track four... Maybe they won't think. I hate this. <laughs> <laughs> as an albumist, I just wanted to get that out of the no, way. No, as an albumist, that's a really good insight. Yeah. I hope that's you backed heard it up here by first. any sort of <laughs> research. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think that's a strange stairway to heaven. Also, uh, I don't want to have to tap the side. Denied, baby. <laughs> denied. Stairway to heaven is a track four, but I would say I that's also on an, on an album that doesn't have a track four because it's right. eight songs and exactly. they're all... They're all overreaching. If, yeah. I'm not a huge Led Zeppelin 4 fan. Nor am I. Yeah. Um, I like a lot of their albums, but 4, eh, it's just not. I'm not. I'm not actually not a huge Led Zeppelin guy. Yeah, especially I like, I like some of their more understated stuff. Yeah. That's but really because awesome. you're a big Wolf Mother fan, I bet you're oh, also a huge Led Zeppelin <laughs> fan. Yeah. <laughs> hey, dude, have I told you that story? God, it's it's. Was escaping. it the one about, about the, the Joker, Joker and the, the Thief, thief in the, the night. night? Yeah. No, we'll talk about it later. Oh God! Okay, so here's my mantra: is about you ready for some more some more mantras? Go about ahead, track albumist. Four? Track four isn't your first date with an artist. Track four sometimes 
is more about the artist than the listener. I think so. I think wow, well said. Yeah. I think track four, you want to say it's not the first date with an artist. I think track four is not the first kiss either, mm-hmm. but that first moment of uh intimate proximity where you probably know that the business is about to happen. Interesting you say that because I, I say here. A truly transcendent track four after mind-blowing album tracks one through three should create a warm feeling in the listener. Yeah. A feeling that in album listening terms would best be described as falling in love. Oh, okay. So yeah, we're kind of on the same page there. You say love because you're married and I wasn't invited to your wedding. And I say coitus because I'm single and sad uh, and haven't gone to a wedding in so long. So that Track four is me inviting you to the wedding. Oh, okay. I like that. (laughs) If it it makes you feel any better. I can't wait for that track four. (laughs) Okay, so I dropped that joke this episode i'm trying to repeat every joke right. this episode i've noticed yeah <laughs> <laughs> also track four is patient but not excessive okay track four is commonly a moment or a cathartic release of clarity definitely track four is not number one on the radio no track four is rarely my favorite on an album and that's okay that's an odd observation these are just all observations yeah, yeah. And my favorite, because it's going to quote a song that is going to be on my favorites. Track four says, rock and roll is here to stay. Come inside where it's okay. Well, this is exciting. Um, yeah. And also, let's just go ahead and thank the listeners. We, we, I feel like we don't thank our listeners enough. Yeah. They've been coming back for every episode, especially these episodes for season three that are only uh, focused on one subject. Yeah. We're not jumping around a whole bunch and being scatterbrained about it. So let's let, can we just have a moment of silence for the listener? Yeah, they can listen to the drums next door. Oh, yeah. I just heard a really sexy bass fill, too. Nice. Did you hear that? Yeah. yeah. Some available musicians, if you yell. Back from, back from Bedrock, L.A., where shows are being booked, and uh, <clears throat> people are really... Everyone's a rock star. Everyone's a rock star here in Los Angeles. Um, let's hop into the track four, man. Let's How do you want to do it? Want. You want to go back and forth? Yeah, like we've been doing. Yeah. I think we can talk about each each tune. We can mm-hmm. make fun of each other. We can fight if necessary. Fire off some clips. Yeah, I think so, because the clip show is the way to do it. Yeah. Here we go. All right, track four. Let's start before we do it. With some honorable Menchies, right? Okay, yeah, let's talk Menchies. Menchies. I didn't write any Menchies down, but let's talk about the I got Menchies. nothing but Menchies on the, like, two pages worth. I did, like, 60 songs on a playlist. Jesus Christ. Well, I just went through my record collection and looked at what track four was, and there's so many good ones. There are a lot of good ones, here. Yeah. One that cut from my list, which is a real painful cut, uh, was for Reverend Green. Oh, wow. Strawberry Jam, yeah. Animal Collective. That is a great track four. And it got cut because mostly I just think it's one of their best songs yeah, ever. Sure. It doesn't really service the album necessarily. What was track four on Meriwether? Oh, was it Summertime Clothes? No, it that's... Was. Yes. Yes, it was. And that's a great track four. It actually really is. That's the perfect track four to keep the record going, too. I can't believe I'm talking the Beatles right now, but my favorite Beatles song is you can't track do four. Be- you can't do Beatles as track four because every song on the record is perfect. Right, but this is random. It's just randomly my favorite Beatles song. Off Yellow Submarine, track four, Hey Bulldog. Huh. I fucking love That's that your song. Favorite I'm not a huge Beatles guy. Because you're a Kinks just, guy, right? Yeah. But did I tell the, you about that one? I guess I guess I like Hey Bulldog because they it sounds like them doing the Kinks. Did I tell you about that one time when I was 18 and my friend this, was hanging out with Ariel Pink yep, yep. and we went to his studio? Please do tell. This did did I have already told yes, this you on told the pod? Me, but, but not on the pod. Okay, you told me. so 
For the listener, this is one thing you don't do. This is one of those dumb fucking hipster questions that you never ask anyone. A friend of mine was friends with Ariel Pink way back when, before he was even a notable artist, but he was still being like the junked out, you know, strange art boy that he was. We went to his loft artist space in Chinatown. Obviously, this was fucking, you know, 15, 16, 17 years ago. And everyone's on smack. I walk into this place. I don't want to be there. I have nothing in common with these people. Right. I'm only 18 years old. You know, I'm still trying to find my way. Uh, and these people are like well into their 20s and really think they're the fuck kings of shit mountain. Oh, yeah. And again, everyone's on smack. There's a couple people having sex in the corners and like throwing up and maybe like shitting on the sidewalk outside. It was that kind of scene. Of course. And the first time I encounter Ariel Pink or encounter Ariel Pink, uh, for the day, he looks at me and knows that like I'm a normie. You know, I'm a noob. Right. And he looks at me and he looks me up and down and he's like, Beatles are kinks. He just said that out of the blue? Out of the blue. No prompt and no follow through either. Just Beatles are kinks and waited for my answer. And of course... I'm a, you know, I'm a, I'm a real person. I'm a genuine human being here. So I say Beatles. Mm. Well, yeah. Anyway, go ahead. And, uh, you have to say Beatles for this because the Kinks don't have. The, okay, hold on. If the Beatles stayed together and continued to write, maybe it would be more of a appropriate oh, question. Yeah, I'll give you seven solo Ringo albums that we could put against those 80s Okay, kinks. so but also you got to think about the Wings stuff and the Harrison stuff and the yeah, Lennon stuff Yeah, All Things Must too. Pass is better than all of it. It is. It's the greatest Beatles record that wasn't a Beatles record. Uh -huh. But for the listener, don't ask questions like that. It's just a stupid question It's a anyway. dumb question. Yeah. And also, the Kinks had a lot of really bad records. They really do. Like, speaking of the being an albumist... Ones, though, oh, Ooh. great records. Yeah, speaking of being an albumist, I took a walk to Arroyo Records on York the other day because yeah. they're open again uh, and i love that shop they don't price gouge uh and i found a kinks record that i had never listened to for seven bucks now which one i'm so curious 1978's misfits oh no 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 it is an <laughs> awful record nothing past i think 72 i think that's the cutoff oh dude 72 might even yeah you're right because I think percy's the cutoff maybe percy's the cutoff and then maybe in the Arthur? 80s it got even worse a oh, lot of steel time. drums Things got really strange. We don't talk about late, ki late kinks. We no, just, we uh, don't talk about yeah. late kinks. Mostly right. talk about Lola versus Power Man. Yes, of Muswell course. Hillbillies. Yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. Village Green Preservation oh, Society. You know, yeah. great albums. They they have it's it's even the midsection, and that that's the thing though is their early stuff is cut and paste, just like the Beatles was. Right. Yeah. And then the midsection is incredible, and right. then the Beatles just didn't have the later days. Hey, Bulldog, huh? Love it. Just, just, I like that. That's you seem suspicious. No, I'm not, because it's you so... You seem like you know I first heard it from the cover by Toad the Wet Sprocket <laughs> off the I Know What You Did Last Summer soundtrack. <laughs> what are you waiting for? <laughs> of course. Um, let's see what else we got. Uh, the Recluse by Cursive. Oh, wow. Off Were of you an ugly, ugly organ. organ fan? Yeah, of course I was an ugly organ fan. So that's a perfect track four because the yeah. first three are so intense. So strong. You get uh, redheaded sleight of hand yeah. and an artist hard. Right. And you're just like, this is the most pumped up I've been my whole life. Have you noticed that the track fours that you brought to the table are only so essential because there are one to three really strong songs in the first three? Well, yeah, as an albumist, of course. Of course, yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, Recluse is so good. Why I didn't include in my list is, to me, and me and my wife feel the same way about this, it's so good at a different mood yeah. that when it's over, 
I'm spent. Yeah, I don't even. I don't even you don't know have how to go the to ugly organ is. Right. Yeah. Right, I just. Sure. I just listen to the first four tracks. I think that's what a good track four does too. You well, don't. You want to listen to the rest of the record, but you don't have to. True. Other things I wanted to that I really wish could have made the list: Young Pilgrims, The Shins, Yeah, Shoots Too Narrow. That's mm-hmm. a great version of a track four. Um, Miss Fat Booty, I sent you Mo's Death. Oh, what a great, Ooh. what a great track four. Yeah, that's more of a random track four. That and, is a random track. Hip hop was tough too because of a lot of different skits. Skits, you know? yes. So you can almost find like a, uh, almost like a metaphorical track four right. in a lot of hip hop. But well, maybe track five those, could yeah. supplant track four in that regard. Right. To- Today totally. I brought in a rap track four. That, that is, is not only a good track four, but it starts with a skit. That's true. Yeah. It's I'm, perfect. I'm pumped about that It's one. the perfect rap track four. Uh, surprised I didn't see from a Buick 6 on yours, maybe. I thought maybe. No. No? No. You're not much of a revisited guy? No, definitely not. Interesting. Yeah. You're more of a, what, late 80s Bob Dylan fan? Uh, I've been listening to a lot of early 70s Dylan, okay, yeah. like New Morning and Desire, mm. but no, I wasn't going to bring that in. Okay. Bob Dylan track fours, if we start talking Bob Dylan on this podcast, we'll only talk Bob All Dylan. Right. Like, you can't tease me with that. I'm sorry. Because there's just too much. I mean, I, I'm sure next season we're going to have to do a we should do an a definitive 80s bob dylan album oh, God, i gotta listen to all those <laughs> yeah Jesus, you have to listen to me. infidels time well, and time we're again. definitely doing the emo one yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh zero melancholy wow infinite sadness you know what's funny is that that deserves an honorable mention because it's an incredible tune but because of the fact that it's been so overplayed and celebrated notoriously in the band's catalog that the hipster in me doesn't ever want to talk about zero ever really again. yes I lo- is it because it was in the simpsons i don't I, uh, was it yeah and Lollapal- the, the classic lollapalooza episode i didn't see that up oh man that's from the class that's like one of the biggest class the smash pumpkins are in the, the episode corgan voices himself yeah he says oh, he introduced himself to homer he says Billy smashing pumpkins and Homer says Homer Simpson smiling politely. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty funny. It's brilliant. Um, As much as I do, again, dude, massive pumps fan, obviously. Um, But Zero has kind of sequestered an entire, like, uh, just overzealous fandom for that particular song Mm -hmm. that I feel like a lot of their other good stuff has been kind of outshined by that tune. Gotcha. And although Zero is a good tune, it's, as we were talking about last night, like it's no fucking Jelly Belly. You know what well, I mean? Jelly Belly. And how, else. and it, it, your question that you prompted last night, how did Jimmy Chamberlain play Jelly Belly well, on so on much junk? heroin? Yeah. yeah. How the hell? How is that? The secret is, right, is that you have to do a bunch of it. Yeah, he's got to be just far gone yeah you can't do a little smack and play jelly belly you have to near overdose (laughs) like i have no idea but uh last one i want to bring up before we do it don't look back in anger oasis i am so disappointed in both of us why that we didn't do that that we didn't do that but i couldn't do that because i actually brought in a track from a competing did yes from a competing brit almost the competing version like yeah the yeah, well, I wouldn't mm, call this song in direct competition with no. Don't Look Back in Anger because it's more cheeky. Right. And, you know, dude, everybody we, knows we're talking about Blur. Of course, we're talking about, about Blur. I'm not talking about Pulp. <laughs> you know, like, I pulp has track fours? <laughs> no, they don't. They don't have track innies. I'm not a Pulp guy. I like common people, but that's about it. I mean, Jarvis Cocker is just. It's just not, not really my bag. It's not my thing. Yeah. He was way too 
thematic and operatic and like kind of cheesy and I don't right. know. He was he's the old dad of Britpop and it totally. just it never got me. But don't look back in anger like I was telling you. It's like that song everybody loves it so much and they don't even fucking know they do. Yeah, of course. No, <laughs> once you hear it. It was yeah. my social experiment at the bar. I would put it on when we'd turn up the lights on a Saturday night. Mm-hmm. Like when the bar's packed and it's like it's like one more time for us all to get nuts before I'm like, all right, now you have to leave. You've got to go home. Yeah. And the lights come up and the opening piano, step outside. Oh, dude, people get and yeah, like ape. you see it in them. They're like, oh man. Because it's not Wonderwall. No, it's not. It's yeah. not the it's not the super obvious Oasis song, right. but it's right behind that. Yeah. And Everybody knows that chorus, and they're just like nobody knows the words. No, they just know of the chorus. Not. Yeah. So it's just a room of so Sally can't wait. She knows it's too late as you're walking on back. Yeah, and everybody's it's, it's all perfect. out of tune, just and it's wasted. just beautiful. Yeah. yeah. Uh, spitting all over the place, <laughs> not knowing that they're spitting no, all over the place. Never been yeah. through a pandemic. Just yeah, exactly. Love and life. God, I can't wait for for when that comes back. Yeah, it sounds different with masks on. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like a ball gag. <laughs> it sounds like That's a Charlie Brown adult. Yeah, dude. It actually kind of sounds like Liam Gallagher. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, that that sounds more like Noel. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, that was just, that was mean. Uh, that was a mean jab. He doesn't have the voice. He can't fucking sing. <laughs> Noel Gallagher cannot sing. Okay. So good honorable mention list. I've got a couple more honorable mentions as we make our way through the list cool. because feels like we picked certain tunes from certain artists that had other great track fours within their repertoire as well. Right. So um, go ahead and start it off. You want me to start? Yeah, sure. All let's, right. Let's this really. is uh Track fours, a.k.a. the more fours, um, is. which is going to be my super group if I ever have four children. Um, the Do You Still Love Me track, because it also Damn feels... Damn you kids are called the more fours, and that's the last <laughs> I'm hearing about it. Uh, and also the Make or Break for Album's Sake track, um, uh, because it feels that. like the, the track four can very much do that. Absolutely um, can do that. I oh, should have made a couple that... I should have found a couple songs that... Track four ruined the goddamn album. I feel like I came across that a couple of times. A couple of them, even that I love, I'm like, well, I love the song, but it does really derail. Like the funeral band of right. horses. Yeah, I think that's one of the best songs. But it, it, you're so sad and depleted by the end of that. It's thing. hard. Yeah, that's you're a journey like, oh, to make it. Through. There's a half yeah. album left. I'm I'm good. Yeah, you don't need. Anything Sometimes more. track fours seem like they should have been the last track. Right. You know what I mean. Or a track three. Yeah. Because if a track four is really strong and it's moved up into the three position, you haven't invested yourself so much into the record yet right. to where when you hit that track you're three, you're like... You're not making break. Exactly. One of the things I said is a, a weakness that I wrote down for a track four is copying track three, right. except slower. Right. <laughs> or yes. much faster. Much faster, <laughs> yeah, which a lot of people do. I feel like I'm more... When I make an album, I more often know what's going to be track four than track two. Yeah, me too. Track two's hard. Track two's impossible. Track two's impossible. Because you yeah. basically have to define your entire sound. Right. Or at least what you think you sound like to right. people. Right, yeah. And sometimes it's the totally wrong choice. Because track one is always exciting. Yeah. You could be shitting into a bucket and put some delay on it and put that as track one. And people, people are like, dude, you. this, yeah, like, this well, record's going to be great. We, we haven't got it off the it ground It was just yet. an intro. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it was six and a half minutes long. <laughs> okay, so for my 10 slot for track fours, 
comes from my favorite Brits, and we're talking about Blur, and we're talking we're talking about Blur. We're talking about Blur, and we're talking about uh, the title track off of the '94 release, and that's Park Life. You didn't say Park Life British enough. You said Park Life. There, like say yeah. it like pork. Park Life. <laughs> <laughs> Confidence is a preference for the habitual voyeur of what is known as A morning suit can be avoided if you take a route straight through what is known as John's got Brewer's fruit, he gets intimidated by the dirty pigeons They love a bit of him Dude, I love Park Life Yeah, uh, right It's kind of a, it's a weird record um, especially because tracks one and three are really, really, really strong, and they were singles before they put title track Park Life out. And that's, dude, Park Life opens with girls and boys. It does. And, and that's really hard to follow. I love that song. I love that song, too. You can't be... you. Oh, First of all, you can't be a Blur fan and not love that song. Second of all, you can't be a music fan and not love that song. Although that was one of the tunes that catapulted them into, like... You know, a further, you know, crazy fervent stardom. Um, it's still a good song. So that, and then track three, you have "End of a Century," which is another great song, and that True. was the yeah. second single, lead single. So when you get into "Park Life," which is basically just spoken word verses and a slacker "Park Life,", Park Life and then the slacker chorus. I don't know. It it just feels like the title track mission statement for the nihilist and all of us. It kind of you know feels. Similar to how Coffee and TV feels. For sure, yeah, which was a track three, kind of like End of the Century on Park Life. But, like, there are some lines of that spoken word monologue that you'll never forget. Like, I get up on Wednesdays when I want, except when I'm rudely awakened by the dustman. You know what I mean? I wake up, have a cup of tea, and think about leaving me house. (laughs) It's just... it's Leaving Leaving me house. Yeah. Um, it's incredible, dude. It is a good song. It is a great song. And I love title track at number four, too. I wanted to highlight that. It's, yeah. It's, um, I think we each have one one example of that on our You list. have one? I do. I can't wait. I forget which one it is, and uh, I'm looking forward to it. I think it's a great place for title track. For sure. track one, two, and three, you get to really know an artist. Right. And then you can kind of like put the header on. You right. know what I mean? This is what this record is about. Let's get on to your number 10. All right. So for my number 10, I'm going to start a real ridiculous like. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> it's real big and ridiculous with Phoenix's Love Like a Sunset Part 1 uh, off Wolfgang Amadeus Phoenix.
Uh, not only is this one of my favorite Phoenix songs, it's one of my favorite songs. Actually, it's my favorite song off of that record and quite possibly one of the best hidden gym dance floor fucking burners that you could oh, possibly yeah. play. When the drums do come in. When the drums do come minutes. in. If you put that on a loop on a dance floor, it's over. Oh, man. man. And I uh, saw him live on the, on the, at the Wiltern on this tour. I, I saw him on this tour as well. Uh, and it was incredible. They played this song for like 15 minutes. And it was so good. And it was good. just mind-blowing. Just I, I saw him at Coachella this year when they put out this record. Yeah. The sun was going down oh, at the outdoor the stage, show. and they played Love Like a Sunset oh, as God. the sun was going down Fuck at the out of here. Yeah, it's incredible. Shit. Absolutely incredible. So what, to bring it in uh, like my reasoning, this is an album that has three singles yeah right off the bat which was more than any of their other records had it's more than most people in the last 20 years have You're right. especially in rock music yeah they had listomania 1901 mm -hmm. fences right. one two three which were the three singles from this album right all used at different levels of pool party yeah <laughs> and the coolest fucking songs of the <laughs> summer <pool> party. <laughs> <laughs> like yeah and, and then you have what I'm saying about subvert expectations or like take it into it, you have Love Like a Sunset, yeah. part one, an instrumental five-minute song. Mm -hmm. Technically, there's a B part. You know, there's a B five part where is, the vocals come in. Right, right. but yeah. it's just kind of like that. Track five, Love Like a Sunset, part two, is just the sunset, you know, yeah. basically. It's not everything that ramps up to it. And what you do have ramping up to is this like, this beautiful digital bath of sunset. For sure. You know, that's that's slowly exactly builds what it is, yeah. And just like... It feels so timeless, yet modern and synthetic. Absolutely. And it still sounds forward-thinking. Can we talk about Phoenix and subverting expectations for a second? Yeah. Uh, because I do want to touch on another track four that they had that should have maybe taken this slot as opposed to Love Like a Sunset What's Part that? 1. And that's off of their debut, United, in oh. 2000, and that's If I Ever Feel Better. Ooh, that's track four. such a good song. Exactly. So Phoenix... Obviously, United wasn't a big record. If I ever feel better, got some retrospectively. Play. Retrospectively, it's yeah. one of the. It's it's an incredible album. Same with Alphabetical. Alpha. See, okay, so subverting expectations. United. It's hard to listen to United in full because that's all they do on that record is mm. subvert expectations. Totally. After If I Ever Feel Better, there's a fucking punk song. There's yeah, like it's a all thrash over punk the place. song. They, with, I would say they more haven't found their sound. No, they haven't. They were throwing a bunch of stuff at the wall to see what was going to hit. And obviously, If I Ever Feel Better, that type of like new discotheque French wave right, that's hit the best for them. Exactly. But between United and Wolfgang, they only put out two records, and those records didn't subvert any expectations with their track listing. Alphabetical, and it's never been like that, were consistent all the way through. They were concept records, uh, Alphabetical being more of an acoustic record. It's never been like that, kind of being like their Strokes record that would lead them Absolutely. into Wolfgang. But Love Like a Sunset arguably is the first time since United where they did something different at a track four. True, and and I'll tell you probably why the I I think Wolfgang Amadeus Phoenix is the best album of two thousand nine. I think it is too. I, I think it's I an wish absolutely I perfect album. Um, so I, I know a lot about it. And when they were in the studio, all they kept thinking that their their mantra when they were making this album was modern. They're like, we want right. it to sound modern, and they didn't care if that meant that things were quantized right to a point where it sounds like a digital mess up as yeah. long as it was quantized, as long as everything was like just locked and synthetic on and the digital. Spot. Right. 
And they also, we have it right here in the studio, Brian Eno's Oblique Strategies. Yes. And that's probably why Love Like a Sunset is the way it is, because they use that religiously when they made Wolf Really? And apparently it helped craft. And like so much of those feel like I've read them, and that seems For sure. like... I read that and I'm like, that would make love like a sunset if you were in the right situation. Right? You yeah. know what I mean? Keep the bass synth going. Yeah. Or like, <laughs> wait as long as you can to come in. To come like, in. Right. Things like that, you know? Uh, and for the listener who doesn't know, Brian Eno's Oblique Strategies is a card deck with uh, artistic recommendations on each card. And you're supposed to pick a card at random if you hit a wall. Yeah. It's a writer's block in a uh, musician's tarot card. And it's, inc- it's incredible. <laughs> it really yeah. is. I love having it here. It's been, yeah. it's been really nice. Really strong 10, dude. That's a really strong 10 yeah, spot. I love that one. Um, what do you got for nine? Oh, here you go. And this is a great opportunity for you to make fun of me. And funny enough, I've been thinking about talking about this artist and this album since we did Best Debuts by any artist. Um, but I held my cards then because that was what? What was the best debuts episode? That oh, was that like was three like, or four. Yeah, it was somewhere in the five to ten. But in the first season. Yes. Yeah. Um, and I I was still, you know, kind of embarrassed to like really put it out, I'll put put it all out on the table, let it all hang out. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I held these cards. But now, because I don't give a fuck... And because right, I'm wondering a lot when you sent me this one. Yeah, I, sh- I, I listened to this song a little bit more than everything else, just because I was like, I have to, I have to understand what's going on. I, you don't have to understand. I what's fucking, going on. I'm just gonna go out. I fucking love it. You do? <laughs> I fucking. I love it. I am amazed that you said that. I'm also I'm just I'm so relieved because I thought bringing this in certainly and assuredly you were gonna give me so much help. My life's been different since I heard this song. Yes, because it is life changing. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, we are talking about track four from Billy Joel's debut record, The Stranger, in 1972. This song is called Scenes from an Italian Restaurant. Get a table near the street In our old familiar place You and I face to face mm-hmm. A bottle of red A bottle of white It all depends upon your appetite you anytime you want in our Italian restaurant. Let me just tell you, Al, I've been playing the saxophone. And oh, yeah. The saxophone so, in this song is so hot. Well, man, it's an epic in nine acts. This song <laughs> has nine acts to that it. That sounds about right. It's seven and a half minutes, and it's quintessential Joel um, at his best with piano storytelling. Mm-hmm. Like, before Joel got even right. big, like, obviously, this was his first record. This album is packed with fucking hits. Yeah, I was it's looking got, at the track. I'm dude, like, oh, my God. It's got 
uh, just the way you are. It's got only the good die young. Yep. It's got the stranger. Only, only the good die young is like right after this song, correct? Uh, no, right after the song, which is why I like this song so much. My favorite Billy. I'm not a huge Billy Joel fan, but Billy Joel's The Stranger. I is might just, be. I don't know. Dude, if you listen to The Stranger <laughs> in its entirety, you will be. I mean, track one is Moving Out Anthony's song, right. which is nothing to be fucked with. But. Uh, this, this song is nothing to be fucked with. It's yeah. not. And track four, maybe we didn't discuss this when we were kind of going through the reasonings for track four, but track four also just needs to be a good lead-in to track five. You know what yes, I mean? Some, like a, yeah. And track five on this record, I don't know if you've heard this song. It's my favorite Billy Joel song, Vienna. Okay, yeah. Oh, yeah. So Vienna is like a power ballad yeah. of like... You know, not taking so you have your this before Jesus Vienna. Christ, I know, dude. Big it's, album. It's the stranger. It's really if, you're, if you guys album. are out there and you're like, oh my God, Al listens to Billy Joel, shut the fuck up, <laughs> stop this episode, and just go listen to The Stranger in its entirety. You will not be disappointed. I mean, when you texted me, you're like, I think you probably know everything on my list. Maybe not this Billy Joel song. <laughs> my initial reaction was like, oh, Christ. Oh, God, there's a Billy Joel song. Like, is on he this. trying to be funny? Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, I'm not. I mean, although this is kind of a comical tune because, again, it's nine acts and seven and a half minutes. I mean, and there's it's, so many changes. It's, it's gigantic and, and wide reaching for yeah, sure. It's very wide reaching. But, like, for what it is and its place in history, you're like, oh, shit. It's. It's really just Joel before Joel started becoming a caricature of himself. Right. Which I think a lot of debut track fours are. Yeah. And this was one of those things. And it's just like... Well, you really put yourself out there on track four, you know? You do. And this is definitely putting yourself out there. <laughs> I mean, and it really just like showcases his Italianness <laughs> as well. You know what I mean? That was the biggest... A bottle surprise. of red, a bottle of white. You know, like it's just... And it's really... I'm not a show tunes guy. This is as close as I get to fucking show tunes. Right. Yeah. So wow. um, I had to put it on there. It's one of my favorites. It makes me want to just leap around fancifully every time I hear it. So thank you for listening and liking it and not, you know, just inundating me with shit talking on it. I was scared. I was definitely scared. I can't, yeah, I mean, I was shocked how much I liked it. Again, I've been playing saxophone, so that was a big part of it. The sax part in there was heavenly. You know what's sad? That Baker Street is in a track four because we could be really talking about Baker Street. I right didn't now. properly properly check all my uh, yacht Roth soft spots, but you know what I, I checked for to see if name was a track four. Oh, it's, it's not. not. Huh? It's definitely not. What's yeah. track four on Dizzy Up the Girl? Uh, it's something that you would. It, it's not a good track four. <laughs> it's not a song we even know. <laughs> You're just like, dude, you do not want to. You don't want to listen song. to it. Yeah. <laughs> all right, all right for, what's your nine for number nine and this is so much fun because i just love having to make you talk about this band so go ahead go ahead uh in in all earnest it's another reason why i love the track four is when you do it like this yeah and it's muzzle of bees track four off their fifth album a ghost is born This is another thing where you've been already by the time you get to Muzzle of Bees. Of course. With a giant opening song, at least that's what you said. 
to Hell is Chrome, into the 10-minute song Spiders, Kid Smoke. Yeah. And then you fall out of all that at Muzzle of Bees, the calmest song on A Ghost is Born, and just an unbelievable piece of music, just gorgeous from top to bottom. I, what, what do you think? Did you listen to it? I want to say something before I get into what I'm about to say. Okay. Which is you brought a couple of these songs in on your list. Calm, acoustic, folk-esque singer-songwriter songs. Mm -hmm. Do you realize that? Did, did, did that hit you as you were compiling your list? That's kind of what I like on my track four. I can tell. Right. Um, so with that being said, let me go ahead and just preface... Uh, any further discussion about Wilco forevermore <laughs> with this. Um, I'm worried. I'm a little scared because as I'm getting older, I'm starting to break my own rules like you like doing every podcast. Big I'm starting time. to break my own rules. Um, but it's happening really organically. So I'm not thinking like, oh, hey, I'm older now. Maybe I'll give Wilco a try. It's just you've been feeding me Wilco songs <laughs> this season, uh, one of which was on the mixtape. What was that song called? Red-Eyed and Blue. Incredible tune, oh, right? Absolutely. I fucking hate Wilco minus Summer Teeth. But when you... Start parceling these songs to me. Yeah, I'm just, like when I listen to I'm Muzzle of Bees, you little helpings when, of Wilco. When I listened to this yesterday, I really started to become concerned um, because I'm starting to like Wilco, and I think that's an age thing, dude. Dude, like, I fell in love with Wilco the first time I heard him at age 18. So that didn't that wasn't even close to happen to happening for me. But like as I'm getting older, like dude, here's a week, what happened. The Northwest, the Pacific Northwest heard Wilco as Modest Mouse in Chicago. Adult Modest Mouse. Just Modest Mouse in Chicago. That's yeah. what we heard. You all in the central area to the East Coast somehow all lumped Wilco in with the jam band scene. I'm not sure why you guys did it. I think it was a I lot think of... maybe that was the shows they were getting. I think it was a lot of their irreverence of some of their more popular songs, like I don't Heavy Metal had, Drummer and shit like that. I don't think you guys that. had indie to compare we didn't so no. you just lumped them in with string cheese and shit and yeah. they're playing bonnaroo and they're playing these amazing songs and you guys are like this this sounds tired and old it's like no they sound like a pacific northwest indie band i okay here's my thing i just wasn't ever into tweety's songwriting i just wasn't into his brand of songwriting that is changing right. as i'm telling you right now dude a week ago i put on a don henley solo record like shit's getting real i'm telling you as I, i'm getting older think, I'm, um, I'm starting to listen to these things post sky blue sky yeah uh their album after this i would say yeah that's the dad rock wilco i mean even his son's playing drums and some of it. right. it's just like i'm not into it i think he kind of got to repeat himself too much but these yeah. these first six wilco albums are just incredible all the way through i don't know i just I don't see any dad rock thing to it. I, th I hear heartbreaking lyrics. Some of the best lyricisms I've ever heard. I'm starting to come Some around. Some of the craziest, and especially in A Ghost is Born, the, cr the guitar playing is insane. And yeah. in Muzzle Bees, this song, he's doing a 12-string baritone guitar. Oh, cool. And the guitar solo has this really odd tremolo effect that I think is just him, his distortion rattling off, like, the subharmonics. Right. It's it's just amazing. I, 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 love, I love this song. I think it services... Uh, perfectly as a track four to get you through to the crazy back half of a ghost. For sure. Game. And it is a crazy back half. No, You're I'm, right. I'm going to keep feeling, feeding you those Wilco wafers. I, you know, I, the Wilco wafers. I like that. <laughs> yeah, no, and you should because I really am starting to come around. 
Well, what um, do you got for eight? Something you apparently won't come around on. Ah. Speaking of coming around, how could we're going to have to talk about this because I don't understand this. You're a Saddle Creek person. You're a Gost. You're a Goth Post person. You're a synth person. Goth. That's you're where, right. That's where I, it okay. is. That's where but you're post, and I feel like goth and post are synonymous with one another, or they have a tendency to go hand in hand. They have a tendency to they go do hand have in a, hand. They I'll, do have I'll a great tendency. Sure. So how is it that you don't like track four off of The Faints' Wet From Birth in 2004, which is a song by the name of Southern Bells in London Sing? How do you not like this song? Well, I'd never heard it. Really? Um, Dude, Wet From Birth in its entirety, you really need to give it a, a go. I think you'll like it. I mean, I've heard Desperate... You've heard Desperate Girls. And that was it. I was like, I'm good. Or, sorry, Desperate Guys. You've heard Desperate Guys. I heard that song back in its day, and I was like, nah. I, don't, I just decided I didn't like The Faint. And I, I guess how I've many never songs looked... did you listen to before you decided you did that one? Like okay, you can't do that. No, dude, that was, you, that's all I heard. You haven't listened to Dance Macabre or Blank Wave Arcade. Mm-mm. Man, no. I think you'd really like a lot of this. Material. All right, well, if, if you're gonna feed me Wilco wafers and or if I'm gonna this feed is you good. that and you yeah. eat them, then I'll eat your little. This is good, little dude. Faint. You're, you're a synth guy. You're a synth rock. Well, guy. I haven't always been a synth guy. You know, synth is kind of new. Okay. To me. Um, I mean, I guess I've always liked electronic music to a degree, right. but yeah, I think I lumped the faint in with like the bravery sure. and panic at the disco. I can understand that. And that kind of thing, which maybe I, I'm, uh, I'm guilty of the same thing I was talking about with Wilco. With Wilco. Yeah. Although I listened to the song. I didn't love it. Really? I just don't You really... didn't like the violin. You didn't like the, the sub bass. You me didn't so much in that first song I heard. Really? <laughs> I don't know. I just don't like the faint. Huh. <laughs> I, I'm going to keep feeding you uh, little tidbits of faint, though. T- I, I feel like this song is a culmination of strengths showcasing a more delicate approach to some of their like okay. gloom wave songwriting. Gotcha. Like, this was their fourth record overall, uh, fourth okay, song, fourth track four on fourth record. This was kind of the... They got big with Dance Macabre, which was right before this. They got... They got underground big. Uh-huh. Um, but after that, they put out this record. They started touring extensively with TV on the radio because TV on the radio around the same time put out Desperate Youth, Bloodthirsty right. Babes. Great one. Saw that at, saw that bill at the Glass House in Pomona. It was incredible. Um, but this was when they started to take a step back from their really harsh, distorted, like, synth wave tendencies okay and they did something a little bit more polished gotcha and that's why i like this song because it it's 
it's much more approachable than a lot of their other catalog. Okay. So that's why this is an important track for for me because when I heard this record, you need to give it a, give the record a listen. I know you don't like track one, Desperate Guys, but there's plenty of in between stuff, but like tracks two and three, and then on to the rest of the record that you might like. And I think you're going to be a dance macabre kind of guy. Okay. So listen to Dance Macabre before you decide you don't like the faint anymore, please. I'll give him another chance. All right, let's move on to your eight. All right, let's get sexy with it with The Strokes, 1251. And now we reach the song that was the first single off of this record. Was it the first single? I thought Reptilia was no, first. No, first Reptilia was the second single no off shit. of this record. That's yeah, stupid. It should have been the other it way around. It should have been the other way around. You're Big right. Um, but I only... Do they think Reptilia sounded too much like Is This It? And they were wanting Probably. Because that's what I love about 1251 is you get off, off their sophomore album, Room on Fire, track four, obviously, you get something new altogether, which really shined a beacon onto what they would become. Absolutely. Whether or not that's a great thing to you. Tidbit that uh, Nick Valenci works so tirelessly at getting that guitar that solo guitar tone. to sound like a synthesizer. Yeah, that one of his friends, after hearing the recording, was like, "Well, why didn't you just use a synthesizer?" <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> it's like you would you, think that would be an appropriate question yeah. <laughs> because that sound would have been really easy to get on a synthesizer. Yeah. But it's so cool because it is a guitar, and yeah, I mean. As far as that album, which now is my favorite Strokes album, is Room it? on Fire, yeah, it grew on I me. I guess like it has crazy to be yeah. over the last couple of years. Yeah, I just think it's their most assured sound. I think so too. It takes what happens on is is this it and just elaborates upon just, it. Just yeah, and just yeah. makes them like like just adds like a timeless quality I for think. sure. Uh, what I love about Room on Fire too is that originally Rick Rubin was pegged right. to produce that record, and the the band was having a meeting about it, and they came to the conclusion like, hey, this is only our follow-up. Obviously, the sophomore slump is a really big gamble because, you know, sophomore records can ruin your career. But they had this batch of songs. They felt good about it. And they said, we're going to wait. Let's not blow our load with Ruben on the second record, which is why they waited to do First Impressions of Earth with him. So See, I this think that's really smart to get, like, that second... Because, you know, th- there's the saying, your first album is everything you've ever been of influenced course. by Well, in it's your the whole songs life. you've been writing for 15 years, too. And your second album is the next 18 months. Exactly. So right. I think it is smart to just continue with any momentum you have. Like, The Strokes did that. Arctic Monkeys did that. Right. A lot of bands that had put out their sophomore album a year after their first album. Right. Just to, like, keep the... Or maybe it was two years. This was Strokes. two years. I think it might have even bordered three. Still not a huge amount of time. Not a and huge they were amount fucking of busy. Yeah, they were very busy. So, I mean, they were the biggest band in the world. Yeah. And and it sound Room on Fire sounds like that. And that's and only the strokes can make that really cool. Like it's like, oh shit, this isn't that much different than Is This It, but these are also great songs. Yes. You know, like that's that's usually the sophomore album is a slump or the level up. But it's sometimes nice to 
just keep the plateau. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and I think they did a few different things uh, other than... In 1251 is one of those things. Or Meet Me in the Bathroom. Yeah. um, Oh, fuck. Is another great song off that record. Yeah, I do too. I love uh, um, everything that leads up to 1251 too. Of course. The first song, Whatever Happened. Yeah. Whatever Happened is a great song. Yeah, Whatever whatever Happened happened into Reptilia. And the Automatic Stop. Automatic Stop is great. And then you get 1251. I just love the fact that you brought in a first single as a track four, I did not know that was the first single. Uh, I only remember it as a first single because I remember hearing that before I heard Reptilia and obviously uh, pre-release before the album came out and thinking... I remember hearing it. This is weird. Yeah. Like, this is a strange... The guitar part sounds like... In the jungle, the, the mighty, mighty jungle. <laughs> what do you got for... Uh, well, you know that I'm um, trying to keep my themes consistent and my variations plentiful thereof. So I can't let a, a season three episode oh, no, go this by. Is, there's no way Mr. Brightside is a track four. No, no, <laughs> no. It's, it's a I'm definitive a, track two, and we all know we that. We all know that, yeah. Um, I was actually going to bring Hot Fuss's track four is that the soldier one yes it is <laughs> all these things that i've done yes yeah that's a good song but i can't it's a great song yeah. um but i that's one joke i am gonna let die because you seem I, mad that i didn't know the name of that song <laughs> and called it a soldier song like you got it's real okay. stern and it's serious. okay it's just one of the greatest records one of the greatest debuts <laughs> by one of the greatest bands of all time no big deal um i'm gonna do my best to not talk about the killers this season um i have to talk about the boss every episode you do, t- yeah, I do because 100%. Uh, that's what that's the joke that won't die this season <laughs> for me. So I brought in track four off of one of the greatest records known to mankind, and that is 1982's Nebraska. Obviously, that is my favorite. <clears throat> I think it's everyone's favorite, or at least it should be. Yeah. If if your favorite is Born in the USA or Born to Run, first of all, you got a baby fetish. Uh, if those <laughs> that's just number team, one. That's, that's just number one. Right off the bat. Um, but you also have a cock rock problem. Yeah. You know what I mean? I get and, that. And obviously the boss has been misunderstood in some of his records. Like it's not patriotic, you know, mm. ass rock stripper mentality like love America and beer. Still, the difference is in the album covers. You look at Nebraska and then you look at Born in the USA and you get two totally different Bruces. V- completely different Bruces. And for those who are unfamiliar with uh, Bruce Springsteen's Nebraska, please listen to it its entirety. It is... Bruce and an eight-track recorder and an acoustic guitar and a harmonica and a bunch of yelping because he was hanging out. Did you know this? He was hanging out with Alan Vega from Suicide. Well, really? When he was recording Nebraska, which is why during Nebraska you hear a lot of, Yeah, Yeah, that makes sense. In the background. Like I said, outside, it's the first punk rock album. (laughs) (laughs) It is the first punk rock album. And on the record, this song, Johnny 99, could be the first punk song on this first punk record in 1982. (laughs) Um, Worst take. It's a stretch. It's a stretch. Stop. 
But uh, again, not it's the first, but not the last time on this record where Bosco's full acoustic punk blues freakout shuffle, yeah, uh, and elaborates upon the desperate despair that's still to come in the record. And this is a really cool song because the first three tracks of Nebraska, you have title track, track right. one, Nebraska. Uh, about Atlantic City. Yeah, you have Atlantic City, you have Mansion, Mansion on the on Hill, the Hill. track three. And then you get Johnny 99. And then you get Johnny 99. So like minus... I was saying Johnny 99 seems like the most out of at least those four. Right. That sounds like it was written to have a full band playing. Absolutely. Because it, it kind of, it has that like chug to it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, also great, because great it's like a, a pretty typical blues structuring, like that's, twelve yeah, bar blues. So structuring. it almost felt like he was like, ah, musicians will fill out the interesting elements. Exactly, and that never happened. Maybe, maybe, maybe. There's lore. there's, there's some, some myth. Lore. And, there's some myth and lore there that maybe we'll get to at a different episode. Um, but this song, uh, as you said, is like the first time uh, on the record. Maybe minus Atlantic City. Uh, which has a lot of room mm-hmm. uh, to put stuff behind True. it. Um, Ugh, but it's so beautiful. It's so alone. beautiful. It, it's too haunting to have anything else yeah. uh, accompany it. Uh, but Johnny 99 is the first time on Nebraska where you're like, oh, there's a lot of movement to come. Right. Um, and it foreshadows a lot of the rest of the record. It's a beautiful song about you know, societal pressures and mental breakdowns and how much we have on our backs at any given time with mortgages and you know, fam- familial upkeep and, uh, and the judiciary system, like being way too hard and throwing the book at a man who just had a small breakdown after drinking too much Tanqueray and wine uh, and wigged out because he, you know, they, they're about to repossess his house. We've all been there. So, you know, we'll call it 98 in a year and call it even Johnny 99 is what the judge said, unfortunately. Um, but I have to talk about the boss because every episode, season three, it's coming up. I don't up, mind it, especially if you're talking Nebraska. Oh, yeah, we're going mm. to be talking a lot of Nebraska in the I coming episodes. Uh, give me your seven. Okay, seven. Uh, I have the books, Smells Like Content from their third album, Lost and Safe. Man, I love this song. Possibilities, contingencies, but with ever increasing faith, we decided to go ahead and just ignore them, despite tremendous pressure to capitulate faith. So instead, we went ahead to fabricate a catalog of unstable elements, modicums, and particles with non zero total strangeness for brief moments, which amount to nothing more than tiny fragments of a finger's. Can we talk about it a little bit? Can you give me some backstory? Yeah. Um, so, like I said, as far as like subverting, the books never really had Nick Samuto singing that much in their first. Maybe they did, but they were basically sample based for their first two albums, Stop for Food and The Lemon of Pink. Like almost everything was samples they collected. Uh, most of their drums are done from uh, him cutting grooves on the inner part of a vinyl record huh. and having the needle just bounce over the grooves he makes. Oh, that's cool. It's crazy. Um, but mostly, this song is here 
because he does sing on this song and he decides, I guess, in one of his first debuts of singing on track four of Lost and Safe to apparently describe the entire universe where I, I just, I can't even begin to dissect these lyrics. Yeah. They're just like the most cosmic and chaotic set of random lyricisms I've ever heard. And it every time it blows me backwards. I yeah. Just, like on, on The Genius, it says, in this song, the books explore the laws of physics and whether these laws are the universe or describe the universe. That's so cool. And why is this on why why is this important as a track four for you on this? Record? This is probably the first one on my list that just like you always say is gonna like break my rules. It just happens to be track four on and it's the I mean it's my favorite book song and it's in my like top fifty songs ever type huh. thing. So a it was kind of hard to ignore. Yeah, I do sure. love where it falls on the album because basically on this album you have an intro piece, you have one of their more usual sample bass pieces, track two. Right. And then there's a really slow and kind of choppy introduction of his vocal on track three, and then you get this. So it is it is well So it's placed. almost a build-up to track four. Though. I mean, this is definitely almost the centerpiece of Lost and Safe and definitely like... I guess where I'm saying subvert expectations, right. like nobody thought the books even had this song in them. Right, yeah. Because their first two albums, you never even hear him sing, really. And if you do, it's, you know, use like a sample. Right. One of my favorite parts about it, though, is the only use of samples on the song, which is what they're synonymous for, is the singer Nick's brother. He does one in the beginning where he just says words like balance, repetition, and then one at the end where he says this little part. He says... Expectation leads to disappointment. If you don't expect something big, huge, and exciting, then usually, uh, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, it just it kind of fizzles out. And you're like, ah, oh, that itself yeah, led to right, disappointment. Yeah. It, it's just a cool little piece. I don't know. So that's, It is uh, a great song and a cool track for. Yeah. Um, I haven't listened to the album in context mm -hmm. to be able to see wh what that does to me for track four, but I also brought in a track four that we're going to get to in my higher numbers um, that has that same feeling as well. It's a buildup. Right. So we both brought in buildups, at least one example That's a of popular that. use of the track four is building Absolutely. Up, yeah. Like the final breaking point, right. the tipping point of what you've been doing on tracks one to three. Yeah. What's uh, next for you? Uh, moving on, track six, um, I decided to put, talk about punk. I mean, obviously the first punk record was uh, Bruce Springsteen's Nebraska in 1982. 1982 but yep. moving, Everybody on, everybody knows that. Yeah, everybody knows that. Moving Great on take. to, to 1998, <laughs> um, I decided to put... Summer Holidays versus Punk Routine. Love it. By Refused off of The Shape of Punk to Come.
first refused song I heard. Really? Yeah, because it was on Punkorama 3? Oh, it was Four? on a Punkorama. 4? That's cool. cool. And also it's cool... Maybe it's not cool. I was going to say it's cool It's that it's the first Refuse song you heard because it's one of the more accessible ones on this record. True. Like, although Keeping Up is still an involved process in this song, mm-hmm. uh, perhaps it's the first moment on this drastically influential record where you're not caught doing the math in totally. your head. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, especially... You can settle into this one. You can settle into this one because the two don't tracks... don't get too comfortable. Don't... No, 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 no. <laughs> you can never get too comfortable on this record. Yeah. Uh, and for the listener who hasn't listened to The Shape of Punk to Come, um, it's maybe one of the most prescient albums ever released. Right. Because technically, it's the first hardcore record ever released. Right. And when I say I first heard it on Punkorama, that's not like, oh, it's one of those epitaph 90s no, no effects. Like, it was the song I didn't like. On right, Punkorama, because, because was, I was fucking scared of it. It was too hard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, I was like, "Well, this isn't catchy. This I is mean, just." It's insane that the band broke up before this record came out. They were touring the states. They were touring basements mm-hmm. in the states. They were playing basement shows in the states. Uh, they broke up two months before this record came out. I believe in, in like a basement in Lawrence, Kansas, or something, right. <laughs> like in one of those B or C cities markets. Um, and then this record came out, which is the first hardcore record, which is called The Shape of Punk to Come. And guess what the fuck happened? Punk turned into hardcore. They it was it. The Shape of Punk to Come, which is why this record is so important and why I'm basically screaming into the microphone right now. But as a track four again, you know, especially the two songs, tracks two and three leading up to it, Liberation Frequency being track two and Deadly Rhythm being Deadly track rhythm. three, especially Deadly Rhythm, dude. Sometimes as a track three, you're listening to Deadly Rhythm and you're like, fuck, I don't know if I can electively el- listen to this and enjoy it. You know, like <laughs> yeah. you have to be in a very specific mood, but then you get Summer Holidays versus Punk Routine and you're like, okay, this is kind of more of a straightforward... It's that breath of clarity. Exactly. You know? It's an attempt to be able to connect with someone who has a very specific set of parameters of listening to punk music and they they interact with that listener. And that's why it's cool as a track four. It's also... it, it Nothing gets this close to accessible for the rest of the record. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's the only straightforward quote unquote punk song. And like I said, will. when you sent me your list, I'm like, oh man, you got so many punk points for having summer holidays versus punk routine. Because it's the only, it's really the only punk song on the record. Everything else would be considered, in retrospect, hardcore. Yeah. Even though hardcore wasn't even a thing really then. My number six, oh man, uh, I can't believe you didn't have this. I thought this was going to be the one place where we were going to both have the same song. I don't we like overlap. I don't like overlap. Did you think I was going to have this and you didn't bring it yes. in? Yes. There's a couple of things that I thought you were going to have that I didn't bring in. You know, it was almost so cliche I didn't include it. And then I listened to it. <laughs> Track four off in the aeroplane over the sea, Two Headed Boy, Boy by right. Neutral Milk Hotel. Two-headed boy put on Sunday shoes and
I mean, this song is proof that if you are creative enough, the regular open chords you were first taught on an acoustic guitar are enough. Can serve in your favor. That's yes, it. That's all exactly. you fucking need. You right. need a G, an E minor, right. a C, and a D. Cowboy chords, dude. Yeah. Maybe I an mean, A minor. It almost kind of... You know, especially since I'm such a big country fan, and you know, we we talk obviously. Unfortunately for you, we talk a lot of John Prine and Chris Christopherson and Cash and whatnot. Right. Those dudes were doing the same exact thing, and the with fact more, that here's what I'm, I'm going to say to that though: with more nuance and class, for like, sure. This is straight up. He sounds like he's been playing guitar for about three months. Right. Exactly. And he just pieced this together. And right. have you ever tried to sing Two Headed Boy it's with hard. him? It's really hard. He doesn't actually take many breaths right. through this song. This was definitely going to be on my list, but I knew, especially since you and I have been talking so much Neutral Milk Hotel recently. We have been. It, it's, it's been on my radar again, just listening. Going uh, through. Yeah, yeah going through and re-listening to both the, albums. the two records. Yeah, yeah both albums. <laughs> only two. You only get two. Um, but it's, it's a need. great inclusion and especially after track three, correct me if I'm wrong, is in the aeroplane over the sea, it correct? Is. Yes. Yeah. So, so you uh, get King and Carrot Flowers uh, one and two, two right. aeroplane, and then Two-Headed Boy, which points to the rest of the album, especially because Two-Headed Boy has a sequel that ends the album. Right. And again, I bring up that track four sometimes gets mistaken as what should have been the last song. I think track four and the last song on your album have a lot to do with each other. They could, yeah, and if you want to make they, them companion pieces. I feel like they should. This is the second time then that you've done that then. Although Love Like a Sunset Part 2 was not the last no, track no. on Wolfgang. No, right? It, it, was, it immediately precedes it. Right. But this album does do Two-Headed Boy track four, Two-Headed Boy part two, the last track. And right. I can't even decide which one I like more. It depends on the day. It's hard. Yeah, yeah. it's a really difficult decision to make. It really is. But you're right. Two. Uh, yeah, especially after Aeroplane at track three. Aeroplane is my least favorite song on this record. Interesting. Uh, maybe it's because of the production choices. It feels very muddled um, and almost like 10 pounds worth of shit in a five pound sack. Well, that's just evident of how amazing the song itself is because Truly. still it stands, it shines through and it's an absolute timeless classic. Right. It is. It Mostly is. Mostly lyrically, though. Lyrically. I mean, we're not yes. talking, I mean, the saw solo is fine, but. No, yeah. <laughs> the saw solo. Um, Two Headed Boy, though, really does kind of foreshadow the rest of the record. Right. Because you're going to go some you, weird places. You're going to go to O'Cumley. Yeah. You're going to go to, you know, Communist Daughter. Yeah. Um, you're, a couple instrumentals. And couple the first instrumental is immediately after Two-Headed Boy. Which is The Fool, correct? Yes. The and Fool so, is so good. And leads you into Holland Night. Like, yeah, Two-Headed yeah. Boy is like a gateway to the rest. It's like, if you're still in, let's do this. Oh, right, here we go. <laughs> Saddle up. Because you already heard the single. Yeah. So... <laughs> right. We're getting weird from so, here. So yeah, it'll, it's you're only not going to hear here. anything catching. You're going to hear a lot of lyrics about semen from <laughs> yeah, here on out. It's guys. mostly about yeah. semen. It's mostly about ghost. yeah. Side B, semen B. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> and even Ghost is somehow about semen. Those those Jeff Mangum condoms, dude, preloaded with semen. Is that the third time we've made that joke? Probably. Yeah, yeah it's great. And though. I like how I said we as opposed yeah, to me. Like I've ever been. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> what you got for five? Oh, we're going into five. Okay, this is also funny because I talk a lot of shit on you for listening to New Flaming Lips, which I think is 
just god-awful. You want to talk about caricatures of oneself. But this, track four, also a single. Um, and this song is She Don't Use Jelly. I think Love we, it. I, how could you not? I know a guy who goes to shows When is it home and he blows his nose He don't use tissues or a sleeve He don't use napkins or anything So this is the hit single, their first like hit single. This also got like MTV play and whatnot. It's still a timeless single. It, it is, is catchier than most. It's catchier than most Katy Perry songs. Absolutely, and I feel like this was kind of the genesis of their and sound. Not just Wayne Coyne. That tiny little riff that Dr- Steve Joyce is doing is somehow the catchiest guitar riff ever made. Absolutely, the drums <laughs> are like perfectly mixed. Yeah, right. Like everything about this tune is really fun uh, because the drums only come in really. Fun in the, is a great word. This song is a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun, especially yeah. if you don't focus too heavily on the lyrics. Well, the lyrics, I believe, again, as I was just saying, like they were kind of the genesis of what uh, of what. Flaming Lips would become like this mm-hmm, was totally. this was the first time that Coin was like, oh, I can sing about really fun, irreverent shit, and like still be psychedelic about it. But the weird thing is, for some reason, the lyrics all feel dirty. Definitely. And they're not. Yeah, they're not at all. But yeah. why do I feel that way? <laughs> that they're like kind of inferring something like sexual, sexual undertones. Sexual undertones. Let's see. I know a girl who goes to shows. Uh, or I know a guy who blows his nose with magazines. Home, he blows his homes. He uses like, it's an old, like, pornographic magazine. Oh, you're talking about thing. blowing the nose? Do people say that? I don't think so. About masturbation? But why do I go there? Because they're I'll, so ominous and or they're so random that you want to make sense of them and then you think I don't know this is kind of weird for you because again you're married and like you're thinking not thinking about the songs before I was married I've always thought these lyrics are strange and they seem to be signifying something it's just funny to me that you hear magazine and you immediately think of a, a porn rag <laughs> like you don't think of like Sports Illustrated or you know like I don't know I feel like somebody maybe told me this once when I was young that like that, that you know that song's about masturbation because I think all Everybody thinks every song from the 90s is about masturbation. I mean, kind of. <laughs> Santa Monica by Everclear. I thought you that know? was about him committing suicide and the, putting the bricks on his feet and jumping into the pier. Oh, okay. That's See, I get suicide and masturbation mixed up, too. I get that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but... This was like this was revolutionary for the band and a single at track 4 that would again become one of their more important songs of their catalog. Yeah, is another you'll still example. See this, you'll still see this song every show they play. Every show. 100%. Yeah. Because it's necessary. It's it kind is. of it's become like the tagline of their career as well. Right. Um and I didn't I, hear it till years after I was into the lips, I feel like. Well, because you I, probably I got Yoshimi, Yoshimi first, Yoshimi, right? Yeah. Soft Bulletin. Right. I even heard Cloud's Taste Metallic before I heard Real transmissions. transmissions. Yeah. No shit, really. Yeah. Huh. Well, this also seems like, you know, because they ripped off Butthole Surfers quite a bit. Yeah, especially they in seem like movies. in line with that band at this time. At this time. Yeah. Yeah. And this was them kind of finding their own sound from Butthole. Right. 
which wow finding their own sound from, from butthole. butthole wow <laughs> it's weird to, <laughs> it's weird to say that yeah all right moving swiftly along what's five for you baby i don't know if you're a weaker thans fan i am now <laughs> you you were the one who introduced me to weaker thans and yeah. actually i hadn't known of the weaker thans catalog until i brought in that john k samson right, tune right. for one of the goat worthies in season two i believe. see I, I don't know how people feel about the weaker thans in retrospect because it was such a big part of my growing up that i you know, when people are like, man, you'd love Alkaline Trio. I'm like, I didn't listen to him when I was growing up. And now when I listen to him, it sounds stupid. Definitely. So, like, I don't I don't think the Wicked Ends are that kind of band. They just ran with the pop punk crowd. Right. So they got, and also, you know, John Kay was from Propagandi. Right. So, like, they get lumped in with punk, but they're not punk. They're not punk at all. Uh, they're more of, like, a Canadian indie folk emo outfit. Sure. That's, a, that's, that's very a good... heavily focused on lyrics. And this song from their best album, Left and Leaving. This is a really good song. Track four, yeah. Pamphleteer. Why do I still see you in every mirrored window In all that I could never overcome How I don't know what I should do With my hands when I talk to you Actually, this whole record feels incredible without being too showy. Yeah. And this is the only record it's I've a listened grower. to. Yeah, Left it is, and Leaving is a grower. It is and a grower. And once it grows on you, it'll it'll just like become part of you. I worked my way through it after we had this conversation for the first time, and it has grown on me. Yeah. Yeah. And especially, I guess, what you would call side A, the first seven songs of Left and Leaving are like, to me, an unmatched run on yeah. any album. And so obviously this song, Pamphleteer, um, just beautiful, beautiful lyrics. Uh, and and he mentions uh, he, one of the lyrics is, "I walk this room in time to the beat of the Gestetner." What's a Gestetner? I had to look it up. The Gestetner is a type of duplicating or copying machine named after its inventor, David Gestetner. 1854 to 1939. During the 20th century, the term Gestetner has been used as a verb, as in Gestetnering. There's ju there's just nothing, nothing but honesty in John Kay's music, especially in, in this album, Left yeah. and Leaving. And Pamphleteer is no different. It's just just feels very off the sleeve. And um, when I talk about my love for lyrics, <laughs> this song I kind of identify as the song that got me into lyrics. Huh. <laughs> I think you've said that a couple of times before, though. Uh, if I was, I was lying because I remember it very vividly because <laughs> I was like probably eighth grade when I was listening to the song. And at the time, I listened to nothing but punk. And like, I liked the weaker thins, though. It was like a nice chill down. Chill. Right. And I remember somebody pointing out the lyric of the first refrain on this, which is, uh, 
how I don't know what to do with my hands when I talk to you, and you don't know where you should look, so you look at my hands. <laughs> I love that. And That's incredible. I just felt something when yeah, I heard that. Yeah, for sure. And, I was, and that was it. I was like, well, I guess lyrics are a part of it now. That's so strange because we were talking about the Beach Boys Kokomo, and that's where you originally said that that's what got you into lyrics. <laughs> what are you talking So, I mean, we'll have to go back and listen to some episodes. Well, but... you don't think it's clever to make up your own resort name in the Florida Keys, <laughs> and then when the Florida Keys do want to name something that because they get calls about it right. every fucking day, yeah. you ha- you profit off it? I think yeah. that's genius that lyric writing, genius. my friend. That is genius, yeah. Yeah, Kokomo just really got me into lyrics. Yeah. Mike Love, he he does it every Fucking time. Fucking Mike Love, you piece of shit. All right. Uh, what are we on? We're track on four. four. And you know it wouldn't be an Al's list. Uh, and I'm speaking to your wife here. Jess, if you're listening, which you're not because you're married and you don't really want to put up with any of this shit, this one's for us, girl. Um, of course, I'm talking about uh, Like Dylan in the Movies off of Belle and Sebastian's If You're Feeling Sinister from 1996. Take a tip from me, took it to the park When you're on your own, it's a long walk home Well, if they follow you, don't look back Like Dylan in the movies, on your own If they follow you, it's not your money that they're after boy, it's you You're easy listening, settle down on the pillow soft When they've all gone home, you can concentrate on the ones you love You can concentrate, hey, now they've gone if they follow... I'd never heard this song, really enjoyed it I bet you did It was great um, I've been keeping a close eye on your You're Spotify You're giving me those Bell and Sebastian wafers like I'm giving you the Wilco Bits wafers. of Bell, yeah. I'm giving you and Bell I've been bits. loving them Good. I've been um, drinking that tiger milk. I, <laughs> I know you have because, again, I follow you on Spotify. And every time I see what you're listening to, if I see a Bell and Sebastian song, like, do you remember when I FaceTimed you a couple of weeks yeah, ago? Yeah, I got like 30 seconds into a Bella Sebastian song. And, and I'm you, calling you. You FaceTimed. It was the most ridiculous thing. <laughs> you were that excited. I was so excited. Sorry. Uh, because because of songs like this. Yeah. Um, and this is a great song. It's a great track for... Because of the groove, yeah, it's not um, it's what, not overreaching. Let me ask, what, what Dylan is he talking about? He's talking about Bob Dylan, like Bob Dylan in the movies. In the movies, yeah. Okay. So um, if they follow you, don't look back. Like Dylan in the movies, which is "Don't Look Back," is uh, one of the uh, names of a Dylan documentary. Right. So okay, gotcha. they're kind of talking. Uh, uh, what Stewart, the lead principal songwriter, is talking right. about here is. Um, doing a Dylan song and kind of feeling ashamed about it. Right. So like, if they follow you, don't look back like Dylan in the movies. Like he's trying to be as... Such a catchy chorus. It's it. so catchy. I mean, everything about this song is pretty catchy, yeah. which is why I like it as a track for. I mean, obviously, if you're a Bell and Sebastian fan out there, which you're likely not... Um, it's funny to talk about like a soft groove at track four because they're all pretty much soft grooves. Right. But if you are a Bell and Sebastian fan, you know what I'm talking about because like Dylan in the movies, 
has its own type of groove that they typically tend to showcase at track four. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not too poetic or like drowning in self-effacing realisms or actualisms. It's really just kind of a fun, upbeat song, which they always have a couple of on their records, but they always put them at track four. Um, a lot of the Bell and Sebastian material is kind of difficult to digest or swallow because it is very... Um, grotesquely emotionally attuned yeah you know what i mean a lot of people can't handle that but right. that's just kind of their bread and butter for songwriting right but this is just one of those fun songs it is a fun one it yeah. is a really fun song which i tend to gravitate on their on their catalog there's just there's an urgency pertinent to keeping this slot alive with this type of movement right in this song and i feel like it showcases what a track four can be in that capacity too so, All right, swinging into your number four. Oh, God, we're going to get sad with it. And a lot of great track fours are sad. They that are. That is for yeah. sure. This one you wouldn't really expect, though, and I think it's both the subvert and the sadness. I read an article yesterday that I, when I Googled this song on Medium from four years ago called Is This the Greatest, is, just to give it away, Someone Great by LCD Sound System, Is It the Greatest Song About Loss Ever? That's a bold statement. That was the first sentence of the article. Bold statement, yes. Where was this article coming from? On Medium. Oh, oh, see, you can't trust Medium. No, I was just just reading it. It was an interesting article. Those journalists are still in college, I think. (laughs) Right, Um, which would explain why somebody thinks Someone Great by LCD Sound System is the greatest song about Now, not to totally just diarrhea all over that notion, but... There is something to that. Absolutely. It is this song, and I think it's more evoking of the synth tone mm-hmm. um, because it is that classic, desperate 80s synth tone that really just sends you back reeling, thinking about all the lost loves you've ever had. True. Um, because Mixed the lyrics... with a very modern sound, too, though. Like, Absolutely. Like it's still... I mean, this song is sad, but it fucking bangs. It does bang. It slaps, and it's heartbreaking. Yeah. James Murphy's therapist. Really? But even he is a little bit weary to confirm that. Yeah. I mean, he kind of, what I've noticed, he kind of wants people to make their own 
The lyrics are vague, even very, very. to a degree. Yeah, I could see it being about a therapist because of some of them. But but basically, you know, the the it, it lets you listen to it for your own losses. You know, right. that's like what a great sad song does right. is keeps it kind of vague and lets your own you know losses get wrapped up in the song and then you cry together. <laughs> Absolutely. Sound of Silver was a great record for that. It is, too. and what a four or five when you're talking someone great, Killer all my five. friends. Yeah, oh, like dude. holy fuck. I was 18 working at Capitol Records in the marketing department, right. and that's when Capitol was putting out Sound of Silver. Right. So I was on the grassroots marketing team for this record. No I had never listened to Sound of Silver before. Actually, I had never listened to LCD Sound System before. This is the first one I heard. This is I heard the this first one I heard, debut. and it's only because my boss gave it to me and said, get to know this record front to back, start thinking of ideas. So when I heard track four for the first time, someone great, dude, I was young. I was young. I was living in Hollywood. I was living at basically Kuwait and Hollywood Boulevard. Wow. I had no fucking idea what I wanted to do with my life, but I had already experienced a lot of heartbreak and was experiencing heartbreak at that particular time, especially with a significant other. So this song was really heavy for me. Me too. I feel like it hit me at a pretty intense part of my life. Definitely. Um, and I think maybe that's why it's in this position it is. Yeah. And it's definitely one of the first ones I think of when somebody's like, what's a great track for? I'm like, oh, fucking song. Well, what's great. a great song about heartbreak? Yeah, you know? same, same, like, I mean, this song's just, it's funny because it's, it's so heartbreaking. Yeah, yeah, you can put it on at a DJ set. You can. You could, like, you could put it on a bar and everybody's like, oh, I fucking love this song. Right. Yeah. It's like a real sad song about loss that, like I said, fucking bangs. It's weird when you have a song about loss that also is like some couple's song. Two, you know <laughs> what I mean? Like, we could go out right now, like, you and I could go to, I don't know, what's a vegan restaurant in town and sit down, and there's a couple, three tables away from us, and their song is Someone Great. Yeah. I could just put it on at a wedding and everybody would dance to it. Yeah, they're like, oh my God, good choice. Even though it's like, <laughs> like yeah, yeah right. you guys are going to last a year. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, what'd you get for three? Oh, we're in the top three? Top three. Oh, damn. I. Kick in the door okay. with my number three, um, and I use that uh, with with a, a modicum of pun ingenuity because my track four is the only rap track four that I have on my list, That's the one. and that is Notorious B.I.G.'s "Kick in the Door" off of Life After Death, Disc One, which was released in 1990. Biggie, uh, uh huh. Uh, this goes out to you. This goes out to you and you and you. Biggie, you. This goes out to you. This goes out to you. This goes out to you and you and you. Uh. Your reign on the top was short like leprechauns as I crushed so-called Willie's thugs and rapidons. Uh. Get in that ass, quick, fast like Ramadan. It's that rap phenomenon, Don Dada. Fuck Papa. Gotta call me Francis M.H. White intake like totes, tote iron Was told in shootouts, stay low and keep firing Keep extra clips for extra shit Who's next to flip on that cat with that grip on rap The most shady, Frankie baby Ain't no telling where I may be May see me in D.C. at Howard homecoming With my man Capone drumming fucking something You should know my steelo Went from 10 G's for blow to 30 G's a show To all G's with O's I've never seen before So, Jesus Get off the notorious He 
between us before I squeeze and bust If the beef between us, we can settle it with the chrome and metal shit I make it hot like a kettle get, you're delicate You better get who sent you, you still pedal shit I got more rise than great adventure Biggie, how are you gonna do it? The door waving the 4-4. All you heard was Papa, don't hit me no more. Kick in the door waving the 4-4. All you heard was Papa, don't hit me no more. Kick in the door waving the 4-4. All you heard was Papa, don't hit me no more. There's no one to be some Biggie. You should have got this Biggie Tupac thing that's going on between us, which is interesting. I We definitely do. Maybe we should have. A warring episode one day because you're definitely on Pac's side. I'm uh, definitely on Biggie's side. I mean, I side. like Biggie, but I just know Pac better. I know Biggie better. Interesting. But Pac had much. Maybe that has to do with where we're from. Maybe, but That's Pac had much, much more of an array of releases under his belt before he definitely. died. Yeah. yeah, I mean, Biggie had two records, and he died before Life After Death was completed. That's true. So he didn't even really have time to perfect the second record which was left in the hands of puffy which is also a different That's thing a that i don't thing. even want to get into right I know, now it'd make because you mad. i don't fucking trust puffy i know but yeah, didn't even like the dot because Puffy was in. Because Puffy, it's dude. Everything that's been put out about Biggie is a Puffy promo piece. Yeah, totally. I it's all that. Puffy like, like especially you remember that biopic that was put out. Yeah. It was called Notorious. Yeah, it was awful. First of all, but like Puffy's character with like the whole film, Puffy's character was like, "Yo, Big, I believe in you. You got this, brother. I'm Puffy. I make dreams come true." You know that shit didn't happen in real life. <laughs> that's so stupid. Like every time, or he's so corny that it did. So corny that it did, but no, Puffy wasn't like, "Yo, I'm gonna be the guy that you know, star rockets you to stardom." And like, no, that's Puffy putting in his own two cents in the in the executive producer process. Oh, oh, it's the worst. But this is as we were talking about earlier. Hard to find a track four that isn't a skit. It's a skit leading into the track four, all as one, which is incredible. And, and this a hell of a song, hell of a song. Also, the skit. Intro, a skintro, if you will. Right. If you will. Sounds weird. But. Thanks for that breath laugh. I appreciate it. <laughs> um, it comes in hot after the victory of Hypnotize. Right. Hypnotize, Hypnotize was track three. Huge. Hypnotize is massive. Everyone knows Hypnotize. Everyone on the planet oh. knows Hypnotize. Oh, yeah. But not everyone knows Kick in the Door because a lot of people are singles-based people, especially when it comes to rap. Right. But Hypnotize, although Hypnotize showcased biggie's thuggery it was more about like bitches and hoes and money yeah um but this kick in the door reminds you that he isn't all about money and that papa hasn't gone soft you know what <laughs> right. i mean i mean like the chorus is kick in the door wave in the four four all i heard was papa don't hit me no more right you yep. know what i mean and so kick like it goes the from the rap caviar of hypnotize into like yo but i'm still but from still the streets hurt. and like yeah. i'm still from the fucking rock and this is what you're gonna get if you fuck with me yeah which i love about biggie because biggie always had a really nice balance of that true like, it was all about like body butter and fucking jet skis but then it was also so like, was like yo this is where i come me. from don't yeah. fuck with me <laughs> yeah but this is a great track for again because it it's a skit and a tune. Yeah, no, so, it's, a, it's a great. I, I, I just loved that it was on the, your list. It was. I it was has like, to. I have to put at least get one hip hop tune. I almost have bought this album a thousand times. It's like always forty five dollars on vinyl. You can't. Like, Damn. Yeah, because it's a That's double a pricey too. one. Yeah, and also just because like those prices are going to go up too because of all the stuff that's being put out yeah, about them right now because it's popular. 
But uh, what's your top three, baby? Here we go. Oh, boy. Number three, and this is probably what you were talking about earlier, and this is my title track one. 1975's Wish You Were Here by Pink Floyd. Title track, Wish You Were Here. This is a really bold choice for you because your favorite Pink Floyd album is Division Bell. I told so. you that's not funny, and I don't, <laughs> I don't appreciate it. I don't like it. Yeah, for the listener, uh, just to let you guys know, if you ever see Cam in public, just be like, Division Bell! Don't do that. I won't respond. Because his favorite Pink Floyd record is Division Bell, that's and he likes true. to pretend like it's it is It's not a Pink Floyd album. It doesn't even have Roger Waters. <laughs> God damn it, dude. <laughs> Um, this is a great select. I had no idea that this I know was a you, track for. For some reason, don't like Pink Floyd. I don't know if you, maybe you haven't experienced marijuana. It does open your it mind. It does open your mind, as we learned from last episode. Yeah, and marijuana. You'll listen, and you'll enjoy Pink yeah. Floyd. No, more. dude, I love Wish You Were Here. Okay. I like Wish You Were Here. I like animals. You can't be a certified hipster and not say, like, I listen to animals. I actually think Animals is the first punk rock album ever. <laughs> Dude, right right before... 1977. Right before the second punk album ever put out, Bruce Springsteen's Nebraska, Nebraska in 82, yeah. Uh, but Wish You Were Here, you get Shine On You Crazy Diamond. Absolutely. You get in there, then you get Welcome to the Sheen. Yeah. Shit gets Dude, dark. It's so dark. And this is one of the only... I, I, I love Wish You Were Here. Can you remind me of the first three tracks? This is Shine On You Crazy Diamond. Welcome to the machine. What's three? And then have a cigar. You okay. Get, you get the good time. Right. You know, you get the rock song. Right. That they need to give you. Right. And then you get Wish You Were Here. What a record, man. Overall. And then Shine On again. Yeah. The, 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 Part two. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Parts actually like six through nine or whatever. But, <laughs> right. you know, who, who can say? Right. But Wish You Were Here, obviously, we're talking about the last song I had, LCD, a song about loss. This is a very different type of song about loss. Right. This is like one of the original heartbreaking songs about loss and you know you can interpret it however you want but it's about sid barrett the original member of pink floyd right. who you know left the band in in the early 70s because he had mental breakdown genius songwriter yes um i love piper at the gates of dawn yeah i mean yeah. i have and to have to bring that i love too. oh i love some of sid barrett's solo stuff too i mean he's just he was just a, a fucking genius yeah and he was 
this song's just one of the most beautiful songs about missing someone and just like I mean everything about it. It's a timeless riff. Yeah. Timeless solo riff. It's patient. It's heart wrenching. It's the the production of it from 1975. It's incredible. Fucking almost 50 years ago. Right. Sounds incredible. And it sounds today. relevant. It yeah. sounds yeah. It's just still one of the most transcendent songs ever. It should be number one. It should. It, yeah. It's probably the best song on my list, but it's not my favorite. Yeah. God damn. God damn, song. dude. What a song. It's not on Division Bell, but it's, <laughs> but it's good do. enough. <laughs> yeah, it'll do. I couldn't name you one song on Division <laughs> Bell. All right, what's your two? Uh, my two is my example of what was your example of it? Uh, oh, it was was it the book song where it's right. a build up? Yeah, in into into the track four, which is kind of like the thesis of the record, perhaps. Right. Um, and this is Untitled Four from Sigarosa's ah. Untitled. guys listening have listened to this record in its entirety it's only eight songs it's i know this one less than some of the other ones which is wild to me because this is one of their more beautiful releases oh from yeah start everything, to finish everything everything i know is, on it i do love and it's a it's a constant theme it is a concept record yeah which is why they decided to just give it the parentheses as a title uh untitled for the layman um, but the Untitled 4 is when you really start understanding the structure of the record. So from tracks Untitled 1, 2, and 3, you get some elements of what's going to show up on 4. But 4 is the first time that they actually come together. It's the first fully realized. It's the first fully realized. And then actually the rest of the record thereafter... Uh, not not the entirety of it, but it starts to trail off a little bit. So, See, like, of course, CROs can do that because they, they are that patient. They are yes, they are that patient, and they are that band, and that's how they write. Yeah, like I feel like Yonzi will write a song, um, maybe like a twenty minute song. And then construct everything else around it and split it up into certain vignettes or yeah. suites, if you will. And that's what Untitled was as a record. It's it's variations on a theme. And when you now, would hit, this be qualified their third album? I believe it is. Yes. Right. Um, 
Because this and, is between Agios Brunyan yeah. and Tac, right? And Tac, yes. Tac was after this. Tac's where I really got. Tac's great. Tac's probably my second favorite, and this this being my first, uh, probably because I was just on a lot of drugs listening oh, to this. Time, yeah, yeah. This when is, it I mean, came this, out. Is, this is how you go to sleep in college. I see. <laughs> I wasn't going to sleep on this. I was 14 when this came out. I was doing so much meth. Oh wow! Just staying <laughs> up, just <laughs> so much meth, like a ridiculous amount. Was of it meth. just was it calming you down? For some, uh, well, by the time I hit day three, okay. So when you're on a meth binge. <laughs> The melancholia hits around day three of not sleeping. So like the first two days, you're fucking pumped and you're like, yeah, I'm God. I can do whatever I want. And then day three hits and you're like, God, I haven't slept. I need to do another line or like twist the bulb maybe a little bit again. Just hit this rock just a tiny bit. But you start to kind of come down because your body is obviously experiencing tolerance. Yeah. So every time day three would come around on my meth binges, untitled would be the record I would listen to. Now, this is an interesting story. So interesting. And that's why I put it at two, because, you know, when I it listen... It means to, a fucking lot to It you. means a lot to me. Not, obviously, that I do it's meth It's a track anymore. four that got you out of some tight spaces. Some tight spaces. It got me into... Actually, you know what? This is the only time during my meth years listening to this record where <laughs> I would think to myself, should I be doing this? Like I would, I would when be listening. Zero, yeah. I would be listening to this record, which is just it was so a guiding beautiful. light. It was. Um, and now when I listen back That's what on zeros it, is man. Yeah, uh, just a complete guiding light. Something so mystical and magical about this group that really doesn't even need to be explained if you're a Sigaros fan. But you know, yeah. Um, again, this is where the themes really begin to construct themselves and reveal the psyche of the record at large. The concepts solidify here at track four, at track four and almost serve as the centerpiece or, again, the thesis of the entire voice of the work, which, as you said, was like kind of the books thing, too, off of that record. Second time I saw him live, I saw him at the Arlene Schnitzer Hall in Portland. It's like the big opera hall. Oh, gotcha. And I'm not going to lie to you. I was very stoned. Right. Oh, why Why do you have to say that? Cam, you just took a hit of weed. Well, well I'm getting there. <laughs> I took a nap for about four seconds. <laughs> and I'm not, I'm not going to lie. It was the best nap of best my life. Best nap you've ever I taken. I woke up feeling so refreshed. You know what, man? I'm not upset about that. I wasn't all. either. I, think, I was shocked. I was like, oh, shit, I fell asleep for a little while. And I'm like, I'm not mad at it. Whatever. You woke up during the same song anyways. <laughs> yes. It's not like I missed it. Like, he's so... I'm like, oh, it's, so it's still you and you. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> Uh, what's your track two? Uh, similar to your track two, it's very special to me right. and important to me, and it's Car by Built to Spill. Love this song. Off There's Nothing Wrong With Love. I want to see it when you find out what comet stars and moons are all about. want to see their faces turn to backs of heads and slowly get smaller. want to see.
Now, tell me about the importance of the track four here. Um, well, on this album, you have uh, In the Morning, first song, The Reasons, Big Dipper, all kind of those classics, intro, right. track two, singly Single, song. right. And then this is where, even though those three songs are great, yeah. Cars where like Build a Spill levels up on There's Nothing Wrong With Love right. to where they the levels they would be on the next couple albums, mm-hmm. Perfect From Now On, mm-hmm. Keep It Like a Secret, Ancient Melodies, You In Reverse, that classic Build a Spill I feel like Car was the first song that you're like, oh my god, where it landed sp-. for them like, in that Car regard. Car is why Modest Mouse exists, right? You right. know, that's how big of a deal this fucking song is. Yeah, people weren't playing guitar broken like this intro until this song. This was like, I mean, this song probably influenced bands we can't even name, right? You know, because like people heard Car in the early '90s and Big Dipper. You know, a lot of songs from Nothing Wrong with Love, but yeah. Car is a big fucking deal. Yeah. So, it, it, like the book song, even despite its spot on the album, it would have been, because it's track four, Right, it's going to be on this list. Yeah. And at two, see, I would have imagined that would have been number one. I'm surprised by your number one, but we're about to get there. Yeah. So my number one, which is apparently a group you have a blind spot for, which is also weird to me, uh, mm-hmm. because it's one of the most influential songs in the canon of pop. American pop music of all time. Yeah. Um, and we're, of course, talking about, and you're going to be out out there if you're listening and you're a Talking Heads fan, you're going to be surprised that this is a track for Once in a Lifetime yeah, it's off the- of 1980's Remain in Light. <laughs> That's not true. Uh, you haven't listened to Remain in Light in its entirety. I know you haven't because I, you I, said Jess I'm not a big <laughs> because she's a Talking Heads fan. Yeah, this whole album is grooves. Right. So from start to finish, this whole album is like West African grooves. It's just not my kind of groove, man. That's okay. That's fine, man. That's cool. Listen, I understand. I hate talking. I'm such a poser when I talk about Talking Heads. No, it no, no. Sucks. It's okay. I'm just me. so surprised. The only reason I'm surprised with you in the blind spot for Talking Heads is just because like David Byrne is so much like us. Right. Like he's an American hero. I definitely like he's David a, Byrne. He's a weirdo. Yeah. He's an art house he's kid. A nerd. He's against the grain. He's a total nerd. Um, and he writes that way too. Like especially for you know uh, lyrics. You know lyrics first people. I would think that you would be a David Byrne and or Talking Heads fan, um, especially in this song because I mean it's the greatest song ever written about dissociation. You know, like, and you may ask yourself, where right. does that highway lead to? You I know, love like, that. I mean, I do fucking love this song. I yeah. think it's an incredible. It's probably my in my favorite of theirs. 
because that's where this song is really important at the track four because someone who's not a big talking heads fan like you would be like yeah this is probably my favorite talking heads song and it was again track four off of a record that didn't have any other singles. Right. So yeah, I looked it over and I was like, I don't recognize any of the other Any songs of these here. other tunes. Yeah, it didn't have, you know, a multitude of singles like uh, Speaking in Tongues um, or, you know, even some of their other releases did. Right. So this is, I mean, it's really the most important song to their career, I believe. And this has hooked a lot of people. This has been the intro song to people getting into Talking Heads, I can which see is that, why 100%. it amazes me. It's at the track forum, which is why I had to put it at number one, because it's kind of a ubiquitous tune. You know yeah. what I mean? It is a little bit of everywhere. And you can use the song for myriad purposes. I like, also put in my little mantras about track four, track four is ripe for musical montage and TV or film. Absolutely. And that really applies to this song. I feel like yes. I, I can see it in a million different pieces of yes. different movies and right. TV transition scenes, like those verses being shouted. It's very triumphant. Right. And yeah, I don't know. Just helps I've, things move. I've also been to so many different weddings, not yours, uh, <laughs> where they play this song as the uh, exit from the altar song. Right. This is the walk back down the aisle tune. Totally. Like as a big celebratory. It's great for that. Yeah. I get that. Yeah. It's it's a beautiful song about love and like, you know, being attenuated to oneself and like dealing with the cognitive dissonance of existence. And at a track four slot, in such a great groove with such a great chorus and like the spoken word verses, it's mm -hmm. just it's one of the greatest track fours I've ever come I see across. some some odd common similarities between that and your first song you mentioned, Park Life. Like just right. just the overall sense of that type of track four that's gonna help move you along and keep the pace up. Right. And and I think that's really important depending on what kind of album you're making. And they're both kind of understated songs as well. Right, like Once totally. in a Lifetime is a great timeless tune, mm -hmm. but comparatively to the rest of the album Remain in Light, it is understated. It's like the nicest song on the record. Right. So that's where I had to put that. Love it. This is not my beautiful house. And <laughs> this is not my beautiful wife. So now we get to talk about your number one, which I was... So surprised. Really? By. Yeah, I was in St. Vincent's yesterday buying a desk chair because my ass fell through my desk chair yesterday morning Ooh. when you sent me your list. <laughs> and I listened to this as I was shopping for a desk chair, and I hadn't heard the song in like 10 years. Mm -hmm. I love this record. I love this band. I love this song. Good. I was hoping you... Oh, dude, you this song okay. is fucking phenomenal. Absolutely. And I can't wait for you to tell me why you put it at your number one, especially over a Built to Spill song. Because uh, I have respect for my elders, Al. Wow, there we go. First time you've ever said that. Maybe the last time you'll ever say it, Mr. Yeah. Punk Anarchist. Uh, 13 by Big Star. Won't you let me walk you home from school? Won't you let me meet you at the Maybe Friday I can get tickets for the dance Now take you 
get off my back Telling what we said about painted black Rock and roll is here to stay Come inside when it's okay Now shake you Ooh. It's exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> like, as far as what I'm looking for the track for to do. Right. And that's, I think, why it's at number one. And I do love it. It's a timeless classic. It is a classic. It's one of the best songs you'll ever hear. No cover will ever do it justice. People and cover this song? Everyone. I want to cover it right now. <laughs> Grab a guitar, I'm buddy. like, let's do it. We yeah. can do it. We're going to make it better. I didn't know that this was such a, a, a fascinating Albert Hammond cover Jr. has a good cover. Really? Yeah. Uh, Pre-Smack or post-Smack? Probably right in the middle. Okay, smack. Cool. Oh, Smack area. <laughs> yeah, okay, cool. I actually don't know. but um, And it's just a beautiful uh, adolescent right. song about love and longing and and uh lyrically like he's got a crush on this girl and he's trying to uh relate with this girl's father by talking about rolling stones right exactly like tell him what i said about paint it black yeah yeah, i believe is one of the lines yeah one of my favorite fucking lyrics great great lyric but number one record by big star is one of my favorite albums number one records i mean I think it's the best Big Star record. It is definitely other by people, far. Other people don't. I don't understand that. What like, would be the other select? Dude, I've heard people say Radio City All-Stars, and I've heard what? people say Third No, is their favorite. No, 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 no. There's no way it's Third. Number one record is <laughs> definitely. But you're talking about number one record starts with Feel, which yeah. is an all-time fucking rock song. It comes is. out the door, yeah. like breaks down the doors. Hard out the gates. Yeah, yeah, and it's so hot. And then you get the ballad. Of El Gudo. Oh, dude. Which is one of the most beautiful fucking singles ever. Yeah. And it's a perfect song. That was track two. Yeah. Track three, In the Streets. Everyone knows it from the theme song of that 70s show. Oh, yeah. But I think the theme song is a cheap trick cover of it. Right. Uh, but the hanging out. Right. Yeah. Another great rock song. And then you're like, this band rules. They're taking me on this roller coaster of rock and roll history. And then you what hit can we possibly get after this? Right. That ups the energy after this? No, no up in the energy. No. Just Alex Chilton and Chris Bell God. acoustically giving you this short little ditty 13. And I mean, I can't describe what a better decision would be on an album. Especially for a track four. For a track four, yeah. like that's the subversion that you're taught. You've been it's talking the subversion, about it. it's the meaningful lull, right. it's the clarity. It's just like showing you that you're not only a band making an album, but you are an artist, you know? Like this one's more for the artist than the listener even sometimes. I don't know. It just hit everything for me when I was looking over the track fours. I'm like, it's got to be 13. 13 is the best example I can find of this. Yeah. Beautiful fucking song. Beautiful song. Beautiful list. Beautiful concept. That's the fours. We did it. That's the fours. We did it. We, We finally came full circle. I, are you sure Track Eights was our first episode? It was. I think it, it was. Yeah. yeah. But this is which the fourth you can't episode find on Spotify. of season three. 
Oh my god, dude! I see what you did there. You like that? Oh, see, I'm a true albumist. You really are. I hope I never have to hear that term ever again. Well, you want to sign us off again? Oh, obviously I do, uh, because I've been working on my cam impersonation. Oh, good. Uh, Hey guys, just want to thank you again for listening to the Go Parade. This is my podcast. I'm super successful, and you know I'm doing big things now. I'm booking shows, and like I'm writing this new record, and like yeah, it's cool to have friends like Al. But you know I don't really think about it much. I don't think about him much. I barely call him or ask him how he's doing or anything like that. But you know I'm Cam Demetric. You know I've been in a bunch of successful LA bands for a while now, and I have to upkeep this flavor of pretension because I'm an albumist. Anyways, Go Parade. Out.